Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Hey, Nick. Welcome to episode 43. We have officially made it. We've got a great show lined up tonight. Nick, what's been going on? I've got allergies. <laughs> I've got allergies. I think it's just that time of year where everyone's got allergies. Man. But we've had a busy day today. Um, but I'm excited. We have two awesome guests coming on the show tonight. And once again, here we are on the Foundation Podcast Network and uh, ready to go for week 43. Yeah, it's almost like we must have a like kind of like a social media popular dude or something. We got already over a hundred live in the first couple of minutes. It's like they're excited. <laughs> yeah. Um so I'm excited. Shoot. Yeah. Last week we had uh Paul McBeth on. Um mm-hmm. that was obviously really cool. <laughs> this week we got Brody Smith, Lisa Fakus. If you uh spell her name, it doesn't sound like Fakus. <laughs> I think the yeah, first okay. time I ever said her name, I, I got kind of made fun of, yeah. but hey, this is what it is. Exactly. Um, so Nick, we just had, can I just say like silver series events? Like, I think we've said this before. They're definitely more weighted as in like value this year than they were last year, right? Yeah, I would say so. Definitely. I think one of the biggest things about Silver Series this year is they coincide with the other tours very well. So it's almost as if players are, like for California, they played the Goat Hill, and now they're going to make their way up to Stockton to play OTB and then out to Santa Cruz to go play the Masters Cup. So it coincides really well. So a lot of big-name players were at the events. And there are still some of the big-name players who weren't. You can take for the MPO side, Paul was not at the event. And for the FPO side, Paige nor Katrina was at the event. So... Definitely not a must hit for all the pros, but it seems like for a lot of people, they're trying to hit every single event they can. Uh, I'm going to name drop right now. Simon Lazat. I was just over at his house today and I was like, hey, man, I'm so excited for you. We'll actually talk about this a little bit later. Like he's going, he's, he's hitting the road again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so what I was going to say is I, I bring him up because I was like, just in the short time I'm there, you know, I like to talk. I'm like, mm-hmm. Simon, I'm like, what's your opinion on Silver Series events? Are they definitely like worth more this year, like than they have ever? And the the first word out of his mouth was like, well, yeah, media, as in like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he says first players matter, like what players are at the event, and then secondly, yep. media, and yeah. Silver Series are doing that. So there was a hot take I made, and I'll pass this over to you earlier or at towards the end of last year, where I said Brody. Uh, he's not going to ever make podium finish top three at a disc golf pro tour event. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like that's a hot take and I want to almost modify it, which we might, we might at the end of the show. Yeah. Right. But, but to be clear, yeah. when I made that, it was for an elite series disc golf pro tour. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that silver series were going to turn into what they did. Um, yeah, exactly. But that's not to discredit. We're going to talk about his great performance. Nick, let's get right into it. Um, Let's start out with a little recap here of what we saw at the challenge at Goat Hill. Just walk us through a little bit of what we might have seen with the course, uh, weather, and then get right into MPO. So, yeah, kind of a quick course recap on it. It was uh, It's another event that was played on a ball golf course, which viewership, spectator-wise, is incredible. 
Um, for me personally, it's not my favorite, but I do enjoy watching it. I was able to watch coverage. I watched a little bit of the live, um, but it does seem like it's becoming a new norm in disc golf to where a lot of these events are switching over to these kind of venues. Um, from what I heard, the goat Hill venue itself is absolutely incredible. Um, filming does pretty well at these courses. And I think one of the biggest cons of constantly having tournaments being played at courses like this is we're seeing not as much parity at the top as we normally would throughout the rest of the, like during this season so far, we're seeing a lot of big arm players make that top five finish. We're seeing consistently Ricky just dominating over everyone at courses like this. Um, obviously other players were not at this event that could have probably given him a little bit more run for his money. But at the same time, we are seeing those big arm players completely succeed. Ricky, AB, Garrett Gerthy was a top 10. Brody has a big arm. As we just saw in all the coverage, he made a top 10 finish. So it kind of cripples the players who don't have that solid 500 feet of distance. But at the same time, there are a lot of different areas that those players can improve on to, you know, make more of a contention. Yeah. And then obviously a little bit of weather there has been the talk in all of these events lately um, where it's been windy. They've gone through Texas. They've gone through Arkansas. Now they're out in California and, and they're saying and it wasn't really that windy up until maybe the last round. And Brody yeah. has mentioned, I think it was in one of his stories, even like, man, like wind throws me off. Like I'm just not as comfortable yet with wind. And so that's something to talk to him about later. Yeah. I, for some odd reason, I feel like this is the windiest year of disc golf I've ever played. Maybe it's because I'm playing more disc golf. I feel like than Global I've ever played, warming. but dude, <laughs> it's absolutely insane. The amount of wind, even from tournaments going back to Vegas, going to Waco and then even some local tournaments around here just wind every single time. And as everyone knows, I like playing in the rain a lot more than the wind and I'm not getting any of that this year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So uh, let's see here. Oh, before we get fully into the MPO recap, can I just do this? Cause I I forgot I was going to do this. My, my second oldest son just turned seven years old today, which is May 10th. Yep, seven years old. That's a big number for him. You know, he's super stoked. Yeah, uh, he can yeah. he can crush a disc. I don't know if you saw that recent video that was getting attention I on my did. social. I did a whole a whole five at pyramids, right? Crazy, like yeah, that was insane. It's insane because he was at the big tree, and that's what probably two twenty, two fifty, and it's to the basket. Yeah, and it's the way he threw it. So if you're if yeah. you're not friends with me on social like, media, it is seven, a public video. Yeah, it is a public video, so you can go at least check it out. He's six years old at the time. Just it's insane. So shout out to him. Happy birthday, Tanner. On to the MPO recap. So Ricky Wysocki has been a very hyped player this season. Now, here's an interesting part. Oh, yeah. Paul McBeth wasn't here like Chris Dickerson, all these names. It is a win and you cannot take wins away. And I wonder if that's part of obviously Ricky's plan. He's like, I'm just going to keep the hype train going. You see what I'm saying? Like, in yeah. his mind, he's oh, like, I'll yeah. just keep the hype train going. Like, even if it's a silver series, let's just keep going. But he won. This is four out of his four out of eight events for him this year. That's 50% pretty yeah, good. Exactly. Um, and all the tournaments so far have been silver series or elite series events. So he's not casually playing these A tiers or B tiers or anything like that where he could stack up some wins. Like Ricky is winning on the biggest stage right now. He's winning against the best players in the world. Some of these Silver Series events, I get not everyone goes to them, but the, most of the events that he's won this year are being played against the top-level players in the world at the moment. Yeah, arguably this one, uh, you can't take away the talent he competed against. There just wasn't as much of that top-level talent. 
Yeah. Although, but he also, you know, one of the biggest things is he took down the previous year's winner, which is always something like AB obviously goes into this tournament with a lot of confidence. AB set the like U disc record for most birdies in a row last year because of this event. Um, so obviously AB had the confidence through the roof, especially after shooting the course record the second round. So to be able to take down AB at this kind of course as well is obviously it's big. Yeah. And what happened? What we can talk about it. What happened to AB? Like he came out not swinging. <laughs> it was yeah, like, exactly. I had actually yeah. picked him definitely to be on a podium. Well, it, and things worked out. Still, yeah. Yeah. Things worked out. Um, yeah, exactly. so congratulations to Ricky. Um, he averaged 1,058. Nick, his average is still better than your hot round recently. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's by uh, five points. It's pretty wild. You know, it's he's good. averaged. And I'll say this. So, like, when I won that C tier, I think I had to average, I think it was 1026 rated golf, which is my personal best, I think, over the course of three rounds. And it's definitely easily the most I've ever had to rate to win a tournament. And these guys are beating that by, like, 32 points, 40 points, 45 points at these big level stages. And I haven't even hit a 1055 rate around yet. Yeah. So we'll just my, say, we'll just yeah. say that that's probably it. I don't want to say ever. You ready for a hot take from Matt to Nick? Like that's your hottest we'll round ever. <laughs> oh, not yet. It won't be ever. ever. Oh, but oh, so oh. Far, hot take. So we got to put something on the line and then you got to pick a rating for me that I'll never hit. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. One. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but funny, a funny story on it. So when we were in Vegas, uh, round three, I played my personal best round back then, and it was like 10:38 rated. And Paul, I think him, I think Paul and I tied that round. And I was, you know, making fun of him because he, you know, tied me in a tournament round, which is kind of wild. And he said, "Dude, your personal best is below my average." <laughs> I was just like. <laughs> Okay, I'm done. I'm never allowed to talk crap to you again. <laughs> That's right. So speaking of Anthony Barella, as we just kind of pick up the pace here, he can throw incredibly far. And if we have him on the show sometime, I will ask him, how far can you throw a disc? Um, but a great job for him. Like I said, not coming out strong in the first round, um, able to go insane. Well, Ricky did it too in the last round, but going really incredible in the second round 15 under par let's talk because we're going to get to him brody smith um get freakies yeah is it brody freaking smith <laughs> yeah talk so so yeah. we're going to talk about this obviously after we interview lisa here we don't we don't need to belabor his whole thing but ultimately yeah. came out tying the hot round in round one um taking eighth place totally winning or achieving securing a USDGC spot after yeah. what many may or may not know was a playoff for that. We're going to have to ask him about what that was like. Um, so notable finishes, Gavin Rathbun, and this name is awesome. Cade, Philomoholahala. <laughs> Philomoholahala. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great job for him. Uh, he seems like a younger guy. I do not know him well. Yeah, I don't either, but uh, he's an amateur. Like his thing actually says that he's an amateur. He doesn't, you know, he plays professional events but he doesn't label himself as a pro yet, but he's 1,002 rated, has never accepted cash. And uh, this year, actually, he would have cashed at six out of the 11 events that he's played so far. So he's obviously consistently playing well. Um, he's got a great rating. I think, obviously, he's trying to do something with the amateur, maybe amateur worlds or amateur nationals, but definitely a kid to keep an eye on. And then Drew Gibson and Jordan Castro finished up at fifth place. Garrett Gerthy, Dustin Keegan, Brody Smith, and Ezra Aderhold 
And I mm. all caps to that in our notes, finishing in eighth place. And I want to give a shout out to Ezra, obviously not having the year that he probably thought that he was going to have or that we all thought he was going to have. But hopefully this is a step in the right direction that, look, he's back. He's going to be playing well again. And we're excited to see him at the top. I'm, you know, I wish I could have seen some of his rounds because I know he did have, I think, the number one tee to green or, yeah, off the tee stats and everything like that. So, so. I'm going to correct myself real quick. So I started kids disc golf uh, five or six years ago and we ran U.S. juniors and I recognized the name Cade. Cade competed in our U.S. juniors. And I'm like, when I okay. said, I don't know him. And then I'm like, but it's totally familiar. So I just looked yeah. it up. Cade. That's I actually have like an infographic for him. Dominant right hand. I know his birthday, which is weird. Favorite food. That's funny. Subway sandwiches. Favorite subject in school is math. He likes to throw backhand and he started when he was nine years old. His favorite disc was the Innova Star Destroyer. He's six feet tall. That was uh, good for him. Yeah. So that <laughs> that's him uh, out of Utah. Yeah. Okay. So let's that's go funny. into the FPO recap. Um, mm -hmm. You had a few notable players. I say a few. The, I, I want to say, like, obviously the Katrinas and Pages weren't there. They both mm -hmm. weren't there. But Lisa Fakus, and then you see Own. And honestly, Own Scoggins, she's a pick it, when I think you always put her on the podium if she's playing an event. Yeah. Yes, exactly. She's playing incredibly well. But Lisa taking down the event by one stroke over the weekend. She was averaging 961 over the course of the three rounds, 16 points above her rating. And it's actually Lisa's fourth win of the year. She did have a big win at Lone Star Classic where she actually made like 3500 bucks off that event. And then um, this was her first Elite Series event win this year, though. Her previous best was fourth place at Waco. Nothing to be you know ashamed of or anything like that. Um the thing that was kind of cool, one of the stats that I was looking at is she actually didn't lead the field in any one specific stat. She just consistently had top five, top six, top seven in all the stats throughout the tournament. So she was playing consistent enough and she was playing better than everyone else, obviously. So just my interjection there, because I was looking at the same things and I'm like, where did she stand out? Own and mm -hmm. Lisa were almost identical. The two yeah. differences I saw was one. T to green. So Lisa was getting there more often in regulation. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And partly because of her scrambling. Her scramble rate yes. was really good. 70%. That was where she just barely, yeah. barely eked out own. Um, so that's good. Uh, Nick. So congrats to her, obviously. And then mm -hmm. own one stroke back on that. There's a yep. few things that stand out. Maybe we can ask Lisa about this while I get ready to bring her in. Um, mm -hmm. But what, what is this about ball golf? At the same time as a tournament. So Touch I get, on that a little bit. I'm going to work yeah, on Lisa. So I, yeah, I'll, I'll jump on that. I was talking to some players throughout uh, the weekend and everything like that. And from what I've heard for the FBO division, they played much different tee pads. It was labeled as a shorter course for them. Uh, constant backups from certain cards throughout the whole day on the final day from what I And then this was something that kind of stood out to me. But I heard that during round one for the female disc golfers, ball golfers were actually allowed to play after hey. maybe the last card or anything like that but ball golfers were actually playing as the tournament round was still finishing up on friday so this is from what i've heard i haven't talked to anyone specifically who ran the event or anyone on the pro tour for that matter but you know kind of my takes on that is that's absolutely wild the course should have been shut down it's a tournament going on if Goat Hill doesn't want to do that and respect the disc golfers tournaments that's going on. Then 
I, you know, don't hold an event kind of thing. But wow, that's yeah, that's kind of something big for that. But notable mentions for the FPO: Holland Hanley came in third place. She's new to the tour this year. She's a newcomer, sponsored by Dynamic Discs, and she actually already has four wins. And she's only been playing for about a year, year and a half. I think she started last year. Uh, Jessica Weiss coming in third place. Nicole Bradley in fifth place. Kona with another top 10 finish at seventh place. And one of the greatest names in disc golf, one of the greatest players to ever play the game, is Juliana Corver. She's a five-time world champion, longtime player of the game. She's a Frisbee freestyle person. She does a lot of that right now. And uh, she actually squeaked, I think, ninth place. After having kind of a lackluster first round, she shot even and even the second two rounds and was able to squeak in a great, great tournament for her. Wow. Yeah. So um, I'm working on getting Lisa in here and she's going to have some really cool stuff to tell us um, yeah. the, what you just told me, though. And I'm just going to I'm just going to talk about real quick what you told me about the uh, tournament allowing ball golfers on is really interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I almost don't want to get into it until I've talked with someone yeah. who, you know, helped out with the event. Someone on the pro tour. I'd rather not talk about anything and create kind of like a gossip world. No, around it because that's not that's not what we're here to do. But at the same time, it's definitely something that if, you know, it's true, if it's actually happened, then there's got to be some kind of like, dude, you know, what the heck was that reasoning? You know? Oh, oh. So, whoa, I just anyhow. threw her up in there. Uh, okay, so now we've got a few yeah. things going on. I'm I'm really not up on my game tonight, and we're doing this live. <laughs> so hold, hold on a Sorry. second, Lisa. We're going to officially bring you in here in a second. Um, let me see, Nick. I've switched things out. Yeah, can you hear us, Lisa? Yes. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so, I can hear you. Okay, hold on. I've changed up so many things. Um, I apologize that let me just get what we've got here for some reason skype is really throwing me for a loop right now but it looks like i might have just figured it out all right everybody without further ado and all that weirdness we just got out of the yeah. way let's go right into it lisa yeah. fakus everybody welcome to the show and where are you calling us from uh right now i'm driving through long beach on the way to stockton oh there you go okay so you're driving as in like um are we in your vehicle or are we in like a uh where where are we well i stopped <laughs> uh, i'm i'm just on the, on the side of the road uh right now at like a food place cool mm -hmm. nice and so you you're one of the van touring disc golfers you have your own van and everything like that yes nice how do you like it yeah i love it uh this is my second year in the van and it's fully converted and yeah, it's really a nice, comfortable space and I love driving it. So nice. it works was, out really great. What was the hardest thing to get used to transferring over, say from a house that you used to live in into now a converted van? Uh, just like, just everything is in a smaller contained space and just having like, um, uh, less, it's just less headroom than you think. Uh, <laughs> you just have to watch out and be really organized and clean yeah. up every day. There yeah. You go. Yeah. So I had to ask like, Hey, where are you? Because honestly, you've really done a good job with the interior where I'm like, it's like, is it a house? Is it an Airbnb? What is it you're doing? So great job there. Um, so let's get right to it. You just had your 69th, if I'm not mistaken, according to PDGA 69th career win at the challenge at goat Hill. Um, Congratulations on that. And um thank you. Obviously you went into it trying to win, but was did you expect the win? Oh no, of course I didn't expect to win. Uh, I just wanted to go and try to make pars and have a great tournament. So 
turned out pretty well. Now, what is your mindset going into every single tournament? Like, do you have the mindset as in like, you just want to go in and make pars and do pretty well? Or do you think, you know, yes, I'm obviously playing for the win. This is what I expect out of it at certain tournaments, maybe. Right. As far as like the word expect, uh, there can't be any expectations mm -hmm. when I'm playing. So absolutely no expectations and whatever happens, happens. But of course, what I want and what I would like for is to win. Mm -hmm. but that's you, a result of playing good yes have you always had that mindset as in like expectations are not to be had no that's kind of a new thing i'm nice. i'm experimenting with and yep. um it's been working out pretty well yeah that's awesome <laughs> thanks yeah so this course and venue is known for like giving the long throwers a significant advantage can i ask mm -hmm. just we used to do a segment called judge that disc golfer. <laughs> I just feel like it's coming back here. How far can yeah, you, right. how, how far can you throw a disc Lisa? Like if you just had to say a controlled distance drive. Um, I'm pretty bad at distances, but I do have a bush nail. So, <laughs> I mean, I can get you a really accurate number next time you ask me that, but yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll say, I'll say close to like, 350 range mm -hmm. on like a really good good day so yeah like around, around there give or take what, it, what is your distance disc of choice um i really love the star strike when mm -hmm. i have like an open field look otherwise i may be pulling out a turn like a halo turn okay yeah and nice. do you think it was what do you think helped you the most to win this tournament. Um, you have your own strengths in your mindset. You have your own weaknesses. What do you think it was? Uh, you had to put a lot together, but what do you think it was that stood out? Was it distance? Um, no, it wasn't like raw distance that really stood out. It was more placement and um, staying in bounds, mm -hmm. uh, trying to at least, and making putts. And, and like I said, it was like a, a placement course. So you just um, get into those spots and trying to get par or have a look at birdie. Do you feel like um, scrambling is a big part of your game? I was looking at your stats earlier, obviously, <laughs> in preparation for this, and you had a significantly high scramble rate, which is like a good thing. Is that a big part of your game always? It seems to be, yeah. I um, tend to get in trouble off the tee, and I have to lean on my scramble game a little bit more than I would like to, but... I am able to luckily um, make weird situations work. Uh, I can like, I have a sidearm, I have a backhand, I have a roller. I can kind of, you know, be creative out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, as we've so. seen with the whole pandemic going on, disc golf has exploded when it comes to viewers of the sport, players of the sport and everything like that. How long have you been touring for players who might not know who you are for mm -hmm. maybe first time listeners of the podcast? They don't know who Lisa is. When did you start touring? How did you get into the sport? Kind of give us a quick little backstory on that. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been touring now. This is my sixth year on tour and uh, also been sponsored by Innova for six years. Um, prior to that, I started playing 10 years before that. So I've actually been playing the sport for 16 years. Uh, I started in 2005 in the summer. So, um, yeah, I just really loved it from the beginning. And uh, when I found tournaments, I just kept playing tournaments. And uh, then I wanted to go 
kind of uh, like out of state where the bigger tournaments were because locally there weren't like a lot of girls to play with um, and more than like a handful. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, which is awesome, but just wanted more competition. So started looking at like out of state tournaments. And once I got sponsored by Innova, just was ready to, you know, try touring. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah cause again, we, we look up, we try to do the best we can with our stats department here when we have a guest on. Um, we see that you became a member of the PDGA in 2007, but you're saying you started two years before that. Um, it, it, not everybody remembers yeah. this, but did you become a member because you were then interested in tournaments? Is that why? Do you remember why you became a member? I believe so. That was when I found tournaments because when I first started playing disc golf, um, I didn't even know, um, you know, anything about it. <laughs> yeah, it was like all just, what is this? You know, let's go mm-hmm. figure it out. And what, at what stage did you feel like, okay, I'm going to do the van life. I'm going to do the full on tour. I'm going to really commit myself. Were you working a job previously before that? And kind of like, what was the transition into life into disc golf? Yeah. So I first started playing disc golf when I was actually 19 years old. Uh, which is actually 16 years ago. So I'm 35 now. And so that was uh, just right after high school. I started playing disc golf. And I w- was also in college. So it kind of went disc golf in college, side, mm-hmm. side by side for a while. And disc golf kind of became like a distraction a little bit from like, I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I kind of mm-hmm. wavered about my majors and stuff like that. But that was kind of always there and then just had jobs as well just all kinds of jobs throughout school um waitress um, all kinds of things uber driver mm-hmm. but um but yeah once um um just i don't know just kept playing disc golf through all, all of that and uh graduated high school i'm excuse me graduated high school but also graduated college mm-hmm. and then decided you know <clears throat> i'm ready to um you know, play more, uh, play more tournaments since nice. I don't like have school going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what, what part, what part are you from? Like, was there, I know you're saying there wasn't really a strong scene for the female disc golfers in your area, but have you noticed throughout the years that it has gotten kind of bigger in that sense? Yeah. Like, especially with the pandemic, it's gotten huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been growing steadily, um, over like the last several years, last five or so years. So it's, we've seen an increase, but of course with the pandemic, it's just, we've really seen the increase now, more ladies out playing. So that's really cool to see. That's awesome. No doubt. Yeah. For sure. So like with the recent win that you've had, and then we saw um, pretty significant um, success. We've, we've seen success from you all along the way. Um, You're, you're always in the conversation. This hopefully comes across as, a uh, compliment like in my mind I put you in the the same level as like a Greg Barsby in my head like you're there you're touring <laughs> you're grinding you get good wins <laughs> but people I think tend to underrate you a little bit but we saw you at the disc golf uh, pro tour finale championship um, competing on the final day um, we, we see you do that can I ask like you've been doing this for so long is disc golf your full-time future plans do you have anything in your back pocket is like hey 
eventually I'm going to have to revert to? Or like, what are your long-term plans with disc golf? I mean, like I said, I graduated college, but beyond that, I mean, disc golf is pretty much a hundred percent in the driver's seat for sure. I mean, in the foreseeable future. Um, and, uh, since I'm 35, I mean, I definitely, uh, have some good years left. I feel like in the mm -hmm. open division, mm -hmm. um, I do feel like in the last several years, uh, or a few years, I, I've had a lot of hiccups in my game. So I'm still trying to iron out a lot of things and, and get to my, uh, peak performance. And, uh, uh, yeah, so it feels like I'm kind of scratching at that again. What do you feel like are the things that you need to iron out? What are those hiccups that you need to get rid of in your game? Um, some of them are kind of, um, like physical things, like, um, mm -hmm. uh, just nagging, nagging injuries, like, um, but nothing serious, just, um, small things, but, um, like, a, I've, I've had like, a just a tiny ankle tweak for a while, but it hasn't really held me back, um, a, a whole lot, like I said, but, um, beyond that, just, um, um, just. I took a small break after grinding on tour. I think it was my second year. I took like a couple of months off and I feel mm -hmm. like, I feel like I just kind of lost a step from then. And it's just hard to get that consistency back uh, in my game. I'm kind of trying to just get rid of the bogeys. And mm -hmm. like my game is a lot of like, um, like I was saying in the beginning, like uh, just looking for those pars yeah. a lot of times. Exactly. And do you have hoping a the, and hoping the birdies come as well? Exactly. Uh, do you have a specific venue? Obviously, this was more of an open bomber course. Do you have a specific venue style of course that you tend to like playing in more? Do you like wooded? Do you like open? Uh, yeah, I definitely prefer the wooded. Um, mm -hmm. But I think Goat Hill was really awesome. Um, in a way, for the women, uh, we had the short tee pads on okay. most all the holes, and uh, it was a bomber course in the sense that it's like. Uh, a ball golf course with a lot of open air space, mm -hmm. but I felt like it was a lot of a placement course as well. So okay. that's why I was able to shine, uh, throwing those really nice placement shots and, uh, and getting to those control areas. What? Yeah. So did you specifically like the design of how Goat Hill was? I think one of the questions that kind of gets raised a lot is the silver series events are played at courses and venues that are trying to become a legitimate pro tour event. So, you know, obviously this isn't a say all do all kind of thing, but do you feel like Goat Hill could experience being a disc golf pro tour event in the future? Yeah, I think it um, has uh, like a good backbone for that. And I think mm -hmm. they're kind of pushing for that. So I, mm -hmm. I think there's something there to, to look at for that, maybe for the future. Yeah. So, yeah. Your opinion is obviously very valuable. You've been around for quite a while. And you talking about the boom or some are saying explosion, the pandemics created the growth rate really rapidly. Um, I think we've also experienced that in a very new way on the FPO side of it, like the competition side on the tour. What have yeah. you, yeah, what, <laughs> I see you're smiling. Yeah. What have we seen and from your perspective, let me ask it that way. From your perspective, what have we seen over the last like pandemic and a half now, like if you will? Um, the competition has increased from our perspective, but what has it been like for you? Yeah, just um, I've noticed uh, a lot of ultimate players crossing over. Like mm -hmm. you see the Brody Smiths already in the in the MPO, but we're getting that in the FPO as well. 
some some really good ultimate backgrounds. Uh, they're coming over and they might have been playing for a couple years or just a couple months, but they've got skills and they're good enough to compete, like um, even though uh, they're still learning a lot about disc golf. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool to see. Yeah, and I guess even uh, let me kind of lead the, this way a little bit too, because you're not wrong. Um, who is it? Holland Handley, right? Is that her background? I'm trying to think who that was that you were. Yes. Yeah. And so that's Holland Handley and Ella. I'm uh, not sure of her last name, but I played with Ella the last round, and she is a, a two-time world champion and ultimate. And she's got amazing power, so it's cool playing with her mm -hmm. in the final round. Yeah, so we're exactly so we're seeing new players come in with the boom that are saying, "Wow, disc golf is actually something." But I think mm -hmm. we're even seeing those who have been in the sport for a while. All of a sudden, FPO is just like the competition parity is extremely high. For instance, yeah, Lisa Fakus is one of our conversation topics now, saying another FPO winner this season, mm -hmm. which makes six out of eight events different FPO winners. Um. What is your perspective on that? Why is that happening now? Like uh, you, Kona, obviously, Haley King, you, uh, the list goes on six out of eight. Like, why do you think that's happening now from your perspective? Is that new compared to what you've experienced over all the years? Uh, first of all, yeah, it is new. Um, it's definitely cool to see, um, you know, the diversity and and the, and the, like, the integrity of people who can win. And I've seen that coming on for a couple years now. Um, that like I can win, but also 10 or 15 other girls, um, in the tournament, they're good enough to win. Mm -hmm. And I see that in them. Um, and it's about consistency, um, during a tournament and these players are getting better every year. Um, and there's so many of them dedicating themselves to touring and, um, getting better. And it's really cool to see. So, I mean, the competition is, uh, has never been <laughs> more competitive in our field so mm -hmm. like you said there can be um there's been six winners already and there can be um six more <laughs> i can tell you from yeah. my perspective it's super exciting to watch it's it's changed up the fpo competition almost i don't want to say 180 i have enjoyed watching it for years but it mm -hmm. has just ramped it up and so you're a part of that that's really cool and there's been a lot of battles. There's been a lot of close tournaments. And I think one of the one of the cool things about it as well is as as FPO grows, more money gets involved into the sport, more money gets involved into the FPO side of things. I mean, we can take, for example, the Lone Star Classic that you had won. You had made over a thousand dollars or just about a thousand dollars more than the MPO winner because a sponsor came in and specifically put ten thousand dollars added cash into the FPO purse. So as disc golf continues to grow, as the FPO side continues to grow, we can see it being more financially stable to go out on tour. And have you noticed that you yourself as a player and even seeing that from maybe new players coming out to the tour, is disc golf something that financially FPO players, we're going to see more touring players in the future? I mean, it, with with the support of sponsors and and having tournaments with big payouts like we're seeing um it's trending in that direction where um if, if it takes a certain person to really um love the sport enough to dedicate um a good portion of of you know their year to touring so um but i definitely see it happening and, and more girls popping out on tour mm -hmm. um but i i just um 
emphasize that like it's not for everyone but it is for the person who is like all in and an enthusiast about disc golf so yeah um, exactly you know it's for that person mm-hmm. what happens when the europeans and the pandemic situation changes and now you i'm assuming they want to come over and be a part of the tour that goes on here in the u.s what 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 should we expect at that point it's like major fireworks right yeah that's what i was thinking <laughs> fireworks yeah, yeah like they're so good over there so we can't wait to see those ladies again yeah uh and, and those guys as well um so much talent overseas yeah. it's yeah. exciting to think about to uh, to have them like competing in the u.s and and uh us going over there as well and competing so yeah um the talent pool is just getting so um so so deep it's, it's really cool it's tough to see too because a lot of players will they'll rave about the europeans and nothing against them at all but mm-hmm. as let's see as players post on say instagram more often than not, you're seeing their best shots. And so we could see, let's say someone like Evelina, when she posts, you're usually seeing her best shots, but we don't know throughout this off season slash COVID pandemic. We don't really see how they have improved as a player. When on the American side of it, we've seen players like you have succeeded. You have multiple wins this year. Haley King has um, succeeded and gotten better at the sport. So I'm curious when the Europeans do come over, how different, I guess I would say how different the, game will be then i think it'll there will definitely be some parody like there has been all year but i think it'll be pretty evened out uh, when it comes to the american players and the european players i guess but Hmm. i would say kind of like one of my last questions with it is what would you consider your strength in disc golf and what do you feel is your biggest weakness in disc golf um definitely my strength has always been putting uh something i really enjoy doing and uh um I'm just uh, comfortable on the putting green and uh, put a lot of time into it. And uh, the more time put into it, the better putter you can be. So uh, I definitely find that to be a strength in my game. Um, uh, weakness might be just, um, uh, I, I have a couple weaknesses. I don't know, uh, probably just like um, raw, like raw power off the tee box. Mm-hmm. Uh, with like hyzer strength, but um, and um, yeah, that's one of my weaknesses. That's kind of I don't know. That's just it's hard to say. It's a weakness. It's just kind of like what kind of player I am. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So, but I mean, I just don't have like a top top tier power. I would say mm-hmm. um, in the FPO, but just maybe a tier or two under that, yeah. so I can still keep up. But uh. But yeah, awesome. In a nutshell. My- well, luckily, <laughs> luckily, every single course out in the tour does not require that top tier distance. Obviously, you have yeah. said it yourself. You like playing in the woods more, which generally doesn't require that top tier distance. So, but what every single course has is baskets that you need to putt on. So, if you are a good putter, that obviously is a huge help in that scenario. Yeah, correct. <laughs> correct. Putting There's... and like you said, I like hitting gaps in the woods. So yeah. gaps uh, are fun. Yeah, just uh, throwing like pure shots. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like straight lines. So straight you like <laughs> courses like Idlewild, and do you, have you played the Delaware? I think it's Delaware Disc Golf Challenge, Iron Horse or whatever, and then Maple Iron Hill. Hill, Iron Hill. Yeah. yeah. 
Iron Hill. I haven't been there in several years. Only played out there one time, actually. So I uh, hope to get out there again this year, actually. Um, it's just comes kind of late on the season and sometimes it gets crossed off my schedule unfortunately but yeah. um <laughs> it's a really cool track um i mean yeah that's like a super woodsy course but a uh, uh, fun track and uh, definitely yeah i can't wait to get back out there and mm-hmm. try that one out do you have a destination tournament that you would like to win like is there any specific tournament that every year you mark it on the calendar and say this is the one i want to get i mean yeah i I kind of, I kind of do, you could say that, but I hate to like put over emphasis on winning. Mm-hmm. Um, like I Good said, point. kind yep. of have, keep, keeping that like no ex- expectation mentality and yep. check um, throughout the season and, you know, hope to just kind of roll with the punches. But I mean, to answer that, maybe like Maple Hill, just mm-hmm. yeah. always kind of envision yeah. like that. <laughs> just yep. love that place. But, you know, jumping in the pond is kind of like something you always kind of like in the back of the, your mind you think about that as yeah like uh one of the traditions they have for winning and uh and beyond that just and worlds would be cool to win <laughs> oh no doubt yeah no doubt that yeah. would be awesome so um this is something we ask everybody and i would imagine in about five years ten years it might not be a question we ask but like a professional touring player needs support at some level in most situations how can um, fans support you? What's the best way for a fan who's listening to our podcast, watching live right now, or driving around in their car? What's the best way for them to support you? Uh, there's a couple avenues for that. Uh, I've got uh, Innova Disc Golf. They have uh, my tour series disc available on the Innova Pro Shop. Uh, so that really supports me uh, purchasing my tour series strike this year. Um, I've, I've got a couple more sponsors that have um, – ways to support me as well uh gorilla disc golf just rolled out with their website uh so gorilla disc uh, i've got um some merchandise on there that supports me directly uh another sponsor flight towel mm-hmm. uh you can check out them online as well um got a flight towel signature flight towel that supports me and uh one more thing is groundbound i have signature Groundbound on good it's called uh, gooddogdiscgolf.com for that one. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So where are you headed to next? Is it OTB? Is that what you said? Correct. OTB Open. And have you played that course before? I know it's a new venue for the tour this year. Nope. I haven't played it before, so I just heard it's really long, and um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, getting some practice rounds in. Awesome. Nice. Well, safe travels. We're going to let you go and continue your trip so you don't have to sit sit too long on the side of the road. Um, yeah. Is there anything we missed that you'd like to shout out before we let you go? Uh, just thanks for having me, guys. Uh, kind of nervous being on for the first time, wow. but uh, it's good talking to you guys. You, did, you didn't and, show uh, it. <laughs> we... well, I'm looking forward to the, uh, some some really big tournaments coming up here on the west coast swing mm-hmm. and and not not only that just the rest of the tours uh, so much more to come yeah absolutely so i would say biggest thing good luck your first major is actually coming up soon in a few weeks um with the is it the united states women's disc golf championships that's what that one is called right yes cool and that one's being played out in california so good luck to you good luck to all the competitors playing that event we really appreciate you coming on the show tonight lisa yeah. and we definitely will have you on again soon 
Yeah. Thank you, Nick. We, Thank you, Matt. We were Appreciate nervous to have you on. We were nervous to have you on. <laughs> we're All always right, nervous to have enough. people on for the first time. First time guests. <laughs> we can't blow it. Likewise. All right. Appreciate exactly. it, Lisa. Safe travels. <laughs> we'll catch you out there and we'll keep All rooting right. for you. All right. Talk to you later. Appreciate it, guys. Okay. Peace. Bye. Bye. Later. All right, everybody. That was Lisa Fakus. Uh, she is obviously a competitor, but she sets realistic expectations for herself. And yeah. well, look what it did for her. Look what it did for her. <laughs> a solid yeah, I win. Guess it's definitely something if you're struggling with your mental game, as in, you know, you got to go into every single tournament, you got to go win that tournament. I know there are people out there that feel that way, and there are people who can use that to their advantage. But it's not for everyone. And she was able to figure that out and she's learned from it. And then she is able to go out to these events, compete and potentially get the win. So that's something, excuse me, really cool. Yeah. Okay. So normally we jump right into our next interview, but just for everybody listening, this is unedited. It will be about 10 minutes from now where we have Brody on. Um, So stick around for that. But here's our transition topic. As I mentioned, Nick, I got to spend a few minutes with Simon. I don't know if he's in the chat now. He doesn't have to let us know. I'm not calling him out. Um, I'm calling him out. No, but although he did say, I'll see, I'll see you yeah. on the show tonight. <laughs> but here's, yep. here's, here's yep. the thing. And I told him we were going to try to yeah. place. He's coming back. He's been injured. He's been rehabbing. He had his last rehab session. Okay. His therapist mm-hmm. said, go out and play. And Simon is ready to play. Now, We've seen him answer this question a million times. He said it in his vlogs. Like he he's talked about it when he played against you and Paul. Obviously, mm-hmm. he played well. Yeah. But yeah. he's not throwing a hundred percent. Uh, as in, like, he doesn't think that needs to be a part of it right now. Can he? He told me today, yes, he can throw a hundred percent. Um I think it's smart if he doesn't right now. I would just go out and test the waters. See, the thing is, is that Simon's 80% is better than people's 100% a majority of the time because Simon throws ridiculously far. And so when Simon's only throwing 80%, he's still throwing over 450 feet very consistently, maybe even pushing 500 feet on certain courses, certain elevation and everything like that. Um, I know he's going out, he's competing at the OTB Open, correct? Yes. So from what I've heard, it's a bomber course. Um, I kind of wish that he was going out to a course that was a little less bomberish, but hopefully... The way that the course is designed, hopefully it's got a pretty smooth flow to it, as in, like, you don't need to throw it 550 feet every single shot. But I'm curious. When Simon plays smart, he's an incredibly, incredibly good player. Yeah, and so I told him, and it's funny to talk to him in person like this, right? I'm like, hey, man, uh, I'm going to pick on the show tonight where I think, you know, we should, you should be satisfied or we'll be satisfied or we think you are actually going to find yourself um, landing at this event. Um, he's going to be on a feature card, Nick. And I can't remember, oh, I, if, I can't remember if it's the live feature card. If somebody knows in the chat, let me know if you saw that. And, or maybe I'm letting the cat out of the bag. Yeah, exactly. You might've just announced something that hasn't even been announced yet. <sighs> well, exclusive Nick and Matt on accident. Yeah. Um, so funny. if that's the case, um, yeah. So, but here's, here's the deal. So he's going to do that. And I think mm-hmm. I'm, I might be putting words in his mouth. A top 10 finish would be great for him. But let's, let's you and I, where do you think Simon, we haven't seen him out there for quite a while, coming off of an injury, where do you think we should uh, expect to see him land and be like, hey, that's pretty good? At what point would we say, ooh, that's not good? Like, I'm just going to throw a number out there. I think if we see anything less 
<laughs> no pressure, Simon. Less than twenty fifth. Yeah. Less than twenty fifth place. I'm gonna say that's it's gonna be acceptable. I'm not saying it's not acceptable. I'm saying we'll be yep. like, oh, okay, all right. It's gonna be a little slower to work back in. What would be your number be? Yeah. So Simon's ten thirty five rated, and that's at him playing, let's say eighty ninety percent. Because at the end of the year last year is when he really figured out that the elbow was killing him, and so he wasn't able to play as well. So. You take a 10-35 rated Simon, he's still better than a large majority of the players in the world right now. So to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out and plays smooth, him getting a top 10 finish. But where I realistically see him is in that 15 to 20 range, to be honest. You and I could just for the fun of it in the segment, Nick, is uh, mm-hmm. pick pick a number and we'll see who's closest to it for the finish for yeah. Simon Lazat. This is the Simon Lazat tracker, everybody. Put your comments in the chat. Yeah. Um, it's got to be I'm before, go, <laughs> before yeah, the end of the Simon, tournament. Simon's such a good friend of mine. I'm, I'm always rooting for Simon. He's he's a great dude. Um, I think he's going to have a great tournament. And I want to be good and say <laughs> he's going to get ninth, ninth place. I'm, I'm seeing a ninth place comeback from him. Ninth place. Dang yep. it. And now to win and beat you out, I have to either go over or under that. And I'm going. You don't want to take the over. Oh, man. I mean, obviously, it feels like it's in my favor to go 10. But but I feel like everybody's going to be there. Oh, my goodness. It's You picked a good number. Um, I like it. Yeah. To give him the benefit of the doubt, I'd say 8. I think he can happen. But I'm just going to have to say I'm going to take the over. Uh, and I'm going to just pick a number. And I'm going to say 12. I think he's mm-hmm. going to do, I think he could do better for sure. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's the Simon Lazat talk. Um, so Brody's in the chat. He's ready guys, but he's waiting for his car to show up. <laughs> so I don't oh, know. No. I don't know. A rental car or something, dark horse rental car situation. So uh, I don't know. Maybe people are giving him a hard that's time funny. in there. Uh, so we'll, we'll still call him in a little bit here. Um, so the other topic, Nick, because we are prepared to just talk for days is exactly you already kind of little, you didn't quite rant. You kind of just reported what you heard about like the course being opened. That's yeah. interesting. I'd love to hear from like the, I do want to hear. And so I know AJ Risley had posted that he wants to be on a podcast and he wants to talk about the oh. challenge at goat Hill. Oh. And unfortunately with, you know, the way we do things, two guests is kind of perfect. We think that's a pretty, good scenario maybe for some other reason if he's listening in maybe at the end of the night we can bring him in if we have some time but it would be someone for next week that i'd love to talk to um <laughs> and just figure out the ins and outs of the event sorry but, sorry i'm laughing simon lazat commented where he thinks he's gonna finish what he say like 45th or something no like that. no he said fifth and it just fifth. I, I crack up because someone's like I shut up it. simon we're talking about you in the cat in the chat the chat's pretty <laughs> funny right now between brody simon and the rest so um, but awesome. yes, I agree. We need to get somebody on. Oh, no, we don't need to. I, I'm okay with that. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that something that something at that event, uh, let, allowing that to happen, there's something that we don't know. But the other yeah. follow-up, I, I don't want to call it necessarily negative, but there was a little bit of uh, stirring, if you will, of the pot, is paying for a practice round at a tour uh, series event. Um, yeah. Nick, we've talked about this prior to this event, so it's not a new we, topic. Yeah, we kind of have. I think even Maple Hill might have charged at one point, which is probably no surprise to anybody. Um, Nick, what's your opinion on paying for a practice round 
prior to a tournament. And if that's the case, like where does it stop? Meaning like, is a week out far enough is two weeks out. Like what, what's your opinion? You've done some touring. So give us some insight. Yeah. Um, I've always found it a little weird that venues that are pay to play, um, actually charge the pros when they're in town to practice the event. And I say that, and I want to give an example. So if a tournament is Friday through Sunday, it's a three day tournament, let's say Vermont GMC, that's actually four days. So we'll go Thursday through Sunday. It's a four day tournament, two rounds at Bruce Ridge, two rounds at Fox run. My personal belief is that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday should be free of charge to touring players and players playing in that event. You're already playing. You're already paying a lot of money to play the event. I think that the practice rounds, the venue should be closed to casuals and that the touring players, excuse me, or anyone playing the event um, should not have to pay for a practice round. And I would say the same thing. If an event is Friday through Sunday, I would say Monday through Thursday. Um, I, I guess my issue with it is these are professional players playing an event and you're holding a professional tournament at this venue. Um, the players are a major reason why a lot of events are successful. Certain events would not be as successful had it not been for certain pros showing up to those events. And I think examples you could take away from that are like certain A-tiers throughout the year. A-tiers would not be as big or certain ones of them. Let's say like the Greater Hartford Open had some players back in the day not gone to that event and seen how well ran of a tournament it is. Obviously, the players who, or excuse me, the people who run the tournament, the volunteers who help out with the tournament and everything like that, make the event for what it is. Um, but I do think that touring players are a huge benefit to bring in, let's say, outside sponsors. You're bringing more views. You potentially can now get filming done at these events. And I think that is an area to where, you know, they're they're helping you out. You should be helping them out by not having them pay. I, I know it's silly. Sometimes you think, okay, three practice rounds that only cost $30. But at events like the Goat Hill, players were apparently being charged $30, $30 per person per round um, to go out well, and practice the sports. I don't know. With <laughs> with a golf cart. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know where the TMZ starts yeah. here, where we start saying what we've heard. Yeah. But, but nothing nothing about it is think, crashing the Goat Hill, anything like that. I thought it was a well-ran tournament. I'm curious to talk more about it with certain people who helped run it. Um, but, yeah. Okay, so here... That was for a cart, first of all, $15 for a cart. That's not unusual. Uh, $15 for a practice round on a golf course. That's obviously not unusual. So here's my take on it, okay? A lot of people are agreeing with, with you in the chat saying, no, nobody should ever have to pay for practice rounds. You already paid to get into the event. Can I yep. just, let me say, I, I, I have been on the other side of it running an event, a large event, a national-sized mm -hmm. U.S. juniors event at a, at a venue that charged us green fees. Now, that's not unusual either. The mm -hmm. difference here is the way we decided to handle it was to wrap it into our negotiations with the venue, yes. where we said, okay, that's it, like all deals final, and we're gonna wrap that into our price for registration. Mm -hmm. And that's how we did it. And we ultimately told yeah. the, the participants, the competitors, hey, if you need more than two practice rounds, these two days leading up, like that's on you. But it was, yep. an, that was given to them. Yep. It was announced. Um, I think it's a marketing thing. Uh, I think the challenge at Goat Hill, whether or not they're going to change, 
my personal opinion is change the way that they marketed it um, to, yeah, negotiate that. And honestly, it's one of those things where you buy you buy something online and you get quote unquote free shipping. You're like, yes, like I got free shipping. And you're like, no way yeah. you did not get free shipping. They rolled that into the price somewhere. Exactly. So I'm saying that's probably would be a better choice going forward. Just so people aren't complaining about yeah. paying for practice. And I've, and I've heard that be one of the kind of answers to this situation to where a lot of touring players have their tournaments paid for by their disc manufacturer company or a sponsor in general. One of their sponsors might be helping them out by paying their entrance fees to these events. And I think that is one way to where, let's say, let's say a pro tour event is $300. If you want to pay for three practice rounds, now you make it $330 and you have the three days of practice. Like you just said, if you show up earlier to that event, that is on you. I'm not telling tournaments to shut down a whole two weeks so that some players can come in early and you lose, you're losing out on a ton of money, especially a weekend that people aren't playing. Um, but I do think that if they were to incorporate it into the tournament registration fees to enter the event, that that could be beneficial in the sense of now player sponsors are still helping them out, paying for the entrance fee, and that you know is kind of covered now. To where players, the main thing that they're focusing on is just getting out to an event, playing some practice rounds, preparing for the event, and then chilling out, and then trying to go out there and do their best at these events. Yeah, so, uh, again, I think in the disc golf world, we tread interestingly with, like, people don't want to pay for stuff, and there's certain justified things where it's like, yeah, no, you shouldn't have to pay for that. Or I don't know if I'd use the word shouldn't have to, but it could be marketed differently. And then there's the mm -hmm. things where it's like, no, obviously pay for it. Pay the TDs, pay everybody that's working in disc golf. Like yep. there's two different yep. conversations. So it goes both ways. Yeah. I mean, my biggest thing, I want to say kudos to Jeff Spring. So originally when I saw this topic get brought up, it was brought up in the players group that's on Facebook for the disc golf pro tour. And a lot of people were discussing it, people discussing both sides of the story and everything like that. But Jeff Spring actually came into the chat and had said, hey, you know, we will reimburse you. Let's say, you know, it costs, let's say for the two days of practice that they were trying to get in, $15 a person. You didn't have to buy a cart. If you wanted to buy a cart, that was your choice. So let's say it's $15 per person, $30. He was like, we'll reimburse anyone who actually wants a reimbursement fee. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, believe me, $30, it's not a stupid amount of money. It's not like. It's not nothing. Obviously, $30 can help players out and everything like that. But for Jeff to be able to go in there and say, hey, look, we didn't know this was going on. We'd be happy to oblige. I guess one of my bigger issues is um, I think the norm should be that tournaments leading up to an event should, like I said, close to the public so that it's only touring players and players playing the event or I should say players playing the event, it should be shut down to only they're allowed to play it. Um, I think one of my issues with the whole Goat Hill thing was that as players were practicing for their Silver Series event, there were still ball golf being played on yeah. the course at the same time. And that's I think that's obviously a whole different subject. Um, well, but it's something that's kind of <laughs> like, all right, what's going on? Well, and now to bring up some more, <laughs> we're getting into the juicy stuff. This There's yeah. at the uh, MVP AM side, this is a similar conversation now. Mm -hmm. um, MVP AM side, Maple Hill is a pay to play course. You get tee times, you play. Mm -hmm. At the final card 
for the, uh, not the FPO, but the FA1, if you will, the lead women, okay, going off. I, mm-hmm. so, I guess the course, and I haven't talked to Steve Dodge or the owner at the course, but they said more or less, I think it was an hour. It might have been two hours. I think it was an hour. An hour after the last card goes off, tee times were allowed to be booked. I feel like an hour is pretty significant. Like, okay, they're going to be to hole six or seven by the time someone tees off. Mm-hmm. But apparently, a group teed off and caught up all the way by like, I don't know what hole, in the back nine somewhere. Yeah. Um, and it's like, and that got people all up in arms over that too. So can we kind of, I'm not here to say right or wrong. I think maybe lessons learned is a good thing for both of these venues, but like, yeah. man, you feel like the value in just shutting down a course is better than the chance of what could happen. So I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think if you want to have a tournament ran at your venue, then there should be the proper ways to go about it and i think one of those things one of the sacrifices that i think courses ought to be making is shutting down for that time frame let's say monday through sunday that is for disc golfers playing the event disc golfers practicing the event and everything like that and i mean if you look at some if i think the majors in disc golf right now you cannot even throw the holes afterwards after an event like if you're at usdgc playing the event and you say you know what i really sucked on hole seven i want to go practice that you can't at a major that's you can get disqualified for that. So the whole course is literally shut down to the public and even to the players afterwards. There are some events like if I'm playing a local B tier, I can go out and, you know, say Maple Hill, say I'm playing it at Maple Hill right after my round's over and I have another round the next day. I can go out and I can practice those holes. That's fine. It's a local event. I totally get that. But when you're talking touring stops where people are doing this for a living, this is people's jobs. I mean, there's got to be more, I think, professionalism involved in it. I find it kind of unprofessional, especially with players practicing. And then you got ball golfers playing ball golf. And I mean, it's going to hurt if someone gets hit by one of those, whether it's a disc (laughs) or a golf ball, it's kind of freaking hurt. Would you rather a disc in the back of the head or a golf ball at a full drive from Simon Lazat? Depends on how far away I am. Am I, you know, 400 feet away and I'm getting hit or am I 20 feet away and getting hit? Because if I'm only Uh, 20 feet, I'm dead. Like, I'm I'm going to die. Either way. All right. Moving (laughs) on to another topic. Brody said his rental has showed up. Hopefully it's quick, he said. Uh, So that's pretty good. Um, I'm just going to wait. Yeah, I'm just going to wait for him. He's He's a big name, everybody. I appreciate you waiting out there in the chat world. And to our guests who are driving around in their cars or listening at home while they mow the lawn. Uh, they're just listening to us ramble on. Let's move into this topic. Have you watched in the social media uh, both Simon Lazat? Speaking of Simon Lazat, both Simon Lazat and um, Haley King uh, oh, meeting yeah, up with meeting up with NFL athletes, yeah, and disc golfing. Um, Simon Lazat met up with Teddy yeah. Bruski. That Teddy dude, Bruski, in my Hall role, of Famer. I was just gonna say Hall of Famer, and it's the funny yeah. thing to me is. And I texted Simon. I'm like, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I live here in New England, Patriots Hall of Famer. And like, he's like, I'm with Teddy. He said, he's like, oh, it was pretty, it was pretty awesome. Um, But he grew up in Germany a little bit, obviously. And he's like, the whole football scene is not totally unfamiliar, but not like, he's not like, oh my goodness, I'm playing with Teddy Bruschi. (laughs) 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when someone who grew up playing football, I mean, if I was to play around to Teddy Bruschi, yeah, I think it'd be fun to just play with someone who's obviously a superstar in their respected sport. But, you know, I, I know friends who would kill to go out and play with Teddy Bruschi. So, and I missed the name. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it because I'm trying to remember Haley King. Was it Evans? Uh, I want to say there was a, Evans was a part of the name. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, but let me look it up. Yeah. Maybe you can, can look it up quicker Haley's. than me, but yeah. NFL athletes and earlier this year, um, Brian DeChambeau yep. playing disc golf. Um, we already know of other names. Evan. Evan Smith was the uh, Packers player Evan that Smith. Haley was able to play with. And it was kind of a cool post because, you know, Haley had said, she's like, look, a lifelong dream of mine just came true today. I can't wait to share it with everyone. So I was obviously excited to see that. And then she was talking about how she loved watching football games with her dad. Her uh, favorite team is the Packers. She says that she's watched a lot of games, she said, and I've probably watched every game in my life. So. <laughs> That's obviously a lot. 2011, I think, is when they won the Super Bowl. So for her to be able to go out and play with one of the players that she grew up loving, uh, that's pretty awesome. I think that's really, really cool. And, yeah, I mean, obviously with Simon what? going with Teddy Bruschi, that's just such a like a cool thing to happen in our sport. I Let's just fantasize for a minute, Nick, while we stall. And Brody says, thanks yeah. for stalling, fellas. <laughs> um, <laughs> while, we, while we stall a little longer in our fantasies here, I'm going to get weird and be like, I'd love to play a disc golf round with Tom Brady. Like I would just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It would just be pretty yeah. cool. That's, that's my That'd pick. Be awesome. That's probably my pick. If you ask so for like, like top who, three, who someone, who you go, someone you had to pick. Yeah. Go with your number one and then we'll go with number two in a minute. <laughs> I do. I would love to play with Tom Brady too. That'd actually be pretty, pretty amazing. So I think I would go Tom Brady, Brad Pitt, and I'd have to think of one more Brad. person. Brad Brad Wait, Pitt, yeah, Brad Pitt's one of my on. favorite actors. We're talking famous people, right? Yeah, we talking I guess, well, I guess people? anybody. I guess anybody. I'm just anybody. No, we can go anybody. So, hmm. That's All right. tough. That is really tough. Oh, man, it is tough. I'm curious what the chat's saying right now. I kind of okay. want to turn on the chat. I'm going to go way just... back in the history of the world and literally say yeah. Jesus. Like, Go and play with them, yeah. There, I, I think um, I heard Jason Southwick once make a joke, uh, and it had to do with Jesus playing disc golf, but I, I'm not totally joking, but, like, if he lost a disc in the water and he chose to, he just walk over the water and just get his <laughs> disc out. Like, I think yeah. that would be legit. I, I don't know if he'd be good at it, like disc golf, but it'd be enjoyable. I'll say that. He, he, it would be enjoyable. Yeah. How about you? You said Brad Pitt, so who's your third? Uh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I don't know. That's tough. Um, I have to. Like, I'd have to really think about it. Give me like thirty solid seconds. Thirty seconds. Okay, here we go. Simon Lazat. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Um, yeah. I'm what's the another famous person? Or just I don't know. Denzel Washington, maybe, because he's right. another one of my favorite actors. Okay. I'm trying to think of a sport. So, like, I love basketball. You know, growing up, I was obsessed with the NBA and everything like that. Or. I guess there's a, you know, some Patriot, I mean, not Patriots, some like Red Sox players, like how cool would it be to go with David Ortiz, big poppy. I mean, just go out and yeah. play disc golf with him. That'd be pretty fire. Yeah. Olympic athletes could be really cool. Um, speaking of which, um, I'm having a brain freeze right now. Uh, UFC fighter. Why am I having a brain freeze? Uh, ben, Ben Askren. Oh, Ben Askren? Yeah, that'd be really fun to play. Uh, yeah. I, would, I would love to play with Ben Askren. <laughs> well, I wasn't necessarily saying that. I was going to say I've actually played 
on a, at a tournament where he was playing. When he when he played 2011 yeah. Am Worlds, I was playing, yeah, the, and I remember walking yeah. by his card and being like, "That guy's an Olympic athlete." Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. So. All right. Now you ready? We're really stalling now. Uh. Let's see. <laughs> do do do. I have. Oh, this is a good one, Nick. Cool. You ready? I guess, I've, I've prepared. Oh, I, yeah. No, I was going to say, I got, I got two more. Now that I'm kind of like okay. thinking, I'm actually reading some of the chat and getting ideas. Oh, good. It. You pulled it up. But yeah, I just pulled up our YouTube feed. But um, someone said Tiger Woods. I actually think that'd be pretty incredible because that's obviously one of the greatest of all time golf players in the world. Um, and then Larry Bird, because he's one of the best Celtics, if not the best, well, I would say one of the best Celtics to ever play basketball. And then Michael Jordan. Just because he's obviously the greatest of all time, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And I think these are kind of like unrealistic things, obviously, because we don't know how <laughs> these players, we don't know how these people actually like what they think about disc golf. Some of them might think it's the dumbest thing in the world. Some of them might think, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. If they had like somewhat of a respect for it, as in like, oh, yeah, this is a pretty cool sport, you know, yeah, let's go out and try it. I would love to genuinely go out and try playing disc golf with these people. Um, there are like YouTube, there are YouTubers, vloggers who I would kill to play disc golf with. So, I mean, but those are people who are a lot less known than the sports players in the world. So that's why I kind of listed off all of them, but there are some YouTubers who I would, I would kill to play around with. Surprise. You didn't say your girlfriend. I mean, is she watched the show? <laughs> she does. I play disc golf with her every, almost every single day. So, and then you say <laughs> Brad awesome. Pitt. She's probably like, yeah, Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All uh, right. This was the we, next we topic. Yeah, we went up and played Lake Marshall actually on Saturday. I finally got a chance to check out that gem of an area. So as we transition, Nick, someone just said they'd pick Nick from the Nick and Matt show to play with. Now, here's a thought. Nick and I have thought about this, and it's probably going to happen at some point. A Nick and Matt show event where mm -hmm. it's either a field day where we have a whole bunch of field events set up. Throughout the whole day, people come compete, yada, yada. We do, we film for some segments. Everyone wants those segments to come back. Something along those lines or a tournament. We'll see. Or it's yeah. like a mini Who's... golf and, and a disc golf tournament in the same day. Yeah. <laughs> but... So once Keanu Reeves, that'd be amazing too. Okay, so here's the next topic. <laughs> Let's literally get into this next topic. You ready? I think it's interesting. I don't know if I have the stats to back it up, which we'll have to do at another time. Does Paul Macbeth, his recent win, his NT win, does he gain an advantage when he's playing in a four-round tournament? Does he have the edge when you put him up against Ricky, Eagle, any of the others? Four rounds. Does that make a difference, being Paul Macbeth? Yeah. I mean, I would say stats-wise, it speaks for itself. And Paul is obviously one of the best players to play those four-rounders. He's got, you know, probably, what, second most majors in all of disc golf. Um most majors are four rounds plus. I mean, Worlds back in the day used to be like five, six, seven rounds. Worlds nowadays is five rounds. 2019, I think that was big for him to play five rounds. That was obviously helpful. Um, yeah, I definitely think Paul has an advantage when it comes to playing a multiple round event against players. Well, I feel like what happens is he comes out and he just plays. If you give him four rounds, he's going to play a better average on four rounds than... Other people are going to play their four rounds. So, yeah, yeah, that's just, that's what I have to say about that. Um, and we would well, belabor that more, but we've actually yeah. got the man himself, not, not Paul, <laughs> Brody Smith, <laughs> <laughs> the man himself. I had to clarify. Spoiler. We, we were just talking. 
we were just talking about Paul, and then I say the man himself. Um, so Brody, first of all, what's going on, guys? Awesome, up, awesome. You got your rental because we were just reading the chats. It sounded like a good time. How are you doing? Where are you calling us from? Uh, I am currently in the parking lot of, I believe it's Swanson uh, Park, the golf course out here. Just got done actually playing a practice round for the OTB Open. Okay, nice. so it's hot. It's very hot. <laughs> I have I am in I'm in Ezra's RV and the. AC. I was gonna say that doesn't look like a rental car. <laughs> no, 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 the rental car is right there. Oh, okay, okay. Selling. Yeah, I'm in I'm in Ezra's RV, but it's nice. it's the AC unit here is so loud. So I had to turn it off or it would be miserable for the listeners. So I just have the, I have the door open and just getting a nice little breeze coming in here. Yeah. I appreciate you turning it off. I was almost going to say something. I was like, Oh, that's going to be a fun one. I was going to say something. Okay. (laughs) So, so without delay, we're, we're glad that very glad to have you on. We have been watching and I don't know how much you check in on the show, but we had a Brody tracker for a significant amount of time. And I will just say we have both, and I'll I'll tip my cards. I have probably been more surprised than Nick has because Nick was able to either catch around with you once or twice in the past. I have not. Um, but we have both been impressed. And today was the day we said USDGC qualified, which is impressive. Congratulations on that. Thank um, you. Thank you. Can you tell us as before we get into the full recap? Uh, what was the playoff like? How did that go down? Did you know there was going to be a playoff? Oh what happened, gosh. and how did and how did that uh, playoff end up? Obviously, it panned out for you, but like, tell us about that sure. experience. Sure. I, this door is closing, so I'm having to throw a little bit extra weight. Hold on a second. <laughs> Sorry. This is this is super <laughs> unpro- unprofessional. I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay. Um, We've had worse. Wanna, don't worry. You want to know? Well, how much of a recap do you want? Well, I want well, you to us, go. Us, I want you to go to the you, end of the event. The, go to the end yeah. of the event and go. Did you know you were playing a playoff? And then how did it pan oh, out for you? Yes, yes, hundred percent. I knew. I knew on hole sixteen's um, tee. I was on sixteen's tee, and I knew uh, for me to have a chance, I had to birdie the last three holes. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I got to seventeen. I saw that Keegan was in with a 23 under and I was 21 under mm-hmm. and no one else, no one else was going to be able to get better, better than 23 under. So I knew birding out was going to put me tied and into a playoff. What you did, you birdied the last five holes of that. And I was kind of curious as I'm watching the live coverage and watching the scoring and everything like that is that you got to that point on hole 15, 16, 17, 18. So 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, you went birdie, 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 birdie. So you obviously, you birdied 18, you step off, you know that you're going into a playoff. What was the playoff like? What did you guys have to do? Was it hole one? And then it was, yeah, it was actually really awkward because obviously Ricky had just won and Ricky had just tied the course record. He played really well the final round. And, um, you know, they, they did the whole, uh, here's your Goat Hill ch- Challenge champion, you know, that, that whole spiel. And then, like, right afterwards, the guy that got on the mic and was like, there's going to be a USDGC playoff. And oh, wow. I was like, I was like, why are they announcing this to people? Like, yeah. no one no one cares. Like, <laughs> literally, Ricky just won. Everyone should be caring about Ricky, not yeah. about a Dark Horse fifth place 
uh, playoff for USDGC. So that was super weird. The, I mean, the tournament director is awesome. I think, is it AJ Risley's dad? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I, I think just, it's I Alan Risley. I didn't know if they had the same last name. But, yeah, I mean, he was a dope, dope tournament director. And, you know, he was obviously super hyped. And it, he was trying to get, I think, people hyped up about it. And I was kind of like, it's, I mean, it's just a, it's a playoff for like a, you know, got eighth place. It's not, you yeah. know, whatever. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I was gonna Go say ahead. I was gonna say you, you don't need to downplay. I, I know what you're doing, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna say congratulations to you again. A USDGC spot is. Oh no, it was it was really important for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I'm just saying, like, if I'm a fan, yeah, I'm not interested. You know, I'm I'm trying to get yeah. in line to get a picture or an autograph from Ricky. I'm exactly. Not, you're not going to watch an eighth place playoff for a USDGC spot that yeah. you're probably not going to see live in person anyways. Yes, but hold exactly. but hold on I, at the I same don't. time. At the same time. And yeah. I'm talking with Brody Smith on right now live. Brody Smith has brought a lot of eyes to the sport and people are very interested in your performance that mm-hmm. I think it would have been, and I didn't see how it played out. I wasn't there. I think it was something that would be worth highlighting. It, you're not just a tied for fifth player. I'm just going to put it out there. You have a lot more exposure on you. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, the event's already over. The guy has already yes. won. Yes. Yep. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to tell you what I think is important and what isn't important. Yep. That's important for me. Mm-hmm. But for the event, you know, like, the reason I know a lot of, a lot of people I saw were upset that the, the Pro Tour didn't film the didn't film the uh playoff but they shouldn't have filmed the playoff because fpo was going on exactly and i would have thought i would have felt terrible if they filmed my playoff even though there would have been a ton of people that would have been really excited and really into it that isn't like we're playing off for something that is outside the scope of the tournament yeah so if 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 Innova was there and they wanted to like film it and post it on their YouTube channel or whatever because it's their big tournament and stuff, I that would make sense. Mm-hmm. But my USDGC spot had nothing to do with Goat Hill, if that makes sense. Totally, and, and I just yeah, wanted that, to. That's that's kind of where I think. The, yeah, the, the... I agree with what you're saying. I was just trying to offer another perspective, as in like you you aren't, and I'm not saying this because you're on here. <laughs> You aren't just another player, uh, Dustin Keegan or anybody else. But but I agree. Sure. I agree. I don't think it should have been to take away from anybody's uh, thing there. So I find it ironic slightly that you're sitting in Ezra's um, uh, RV. And I'm going to ask this question. <laughs> Everyone put me up to ask you about the fluke performance. But I'm going to ask it this way. Okay. Is your performance the way we saw it at Goat Hill? Is this something we're likely to see at? future events now i guess i mean I hope not more <laughs> how about I, round one it's too low how about round played, one and round I two played like terrible i played like <laughs> yeah. i played terrible round three round three was like everyone's had these rounds where you're yep. not playing well and you're getting bad luck <laughs> and and the re and and here's the thing with luck right and people talk about how paul is like the luckiest player in the world that's not the case when you're playing well and you're throwing good shots you don't really need luck. Like it might look to like the nor- like, the other people like, oh my God, he's getting so lucky. But the thing is, is like Paul might throw one or two errant shots when he's playing bad. And so he only needs to get lucky on one shot. Mm-hmm. If you're playing bad 
and you're throwing tons and tons of bad shots, you're giving yourself tons of opportunities to, to get unlucky. So that's kind of what was happening for me is, yeah, did a lot of things not go my way the final round? A thousand percent. Like, ton, like I was going through the round hole by hole, and, you know, I honestly didn't play terrible in certain situations, but there were stupid mistakes that I made that cost me dearly. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I had a, a hundred foot upshot and I needed to play it 30 feet out wide to the left to give myself a 15 foot putt, make birdie walk off. I end up trying to throw it underneath the basket. I cut it a little close. It hits the tree. It drops down to 20 feet. Now I have a hard left to right wind uphill putt. I, it goes straight through the chains that I miss. Mm-hmm. So it's like, people could look at that and be like, Oh my God, that's so unlucky that, you know, you got to spit out. But the way I look at it is I, it shouldn't even give my, I shouldn't even give it a chance to have a spit out. I should have exactly. had an easy 15 foot putt. So there was tons of times that happened. So to answer your question, was this a fluke? I, I, I hope so because I, I personally think like round two and round three, I did not play well. Okay. But how about, 1056 rated first round is that your highest rated Let's round not ever? Talk about ratings. Is that Let's your not highest? Talk about ratings. Is that Let's your highest? Is that your best performance that was ever? My best, that was my best round. Okay. That I played in the yeah. sense of uh, the competition I was playing against. Did you make? Trying, do you feel trying, like? Yeah. No, I was gonna say. Do you feel like you made any mistakes that round? Yeah, I made three. Okay. What were they? Uh. So. I birdied, I played really well the front, the first like four or five holes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, hole five is the easiest hole in the course. It's like 327. And um, I forgot that it was like a full zone. And well, I didn't, for, it wasn't like I forgot. I just like yeah. kind of mentally lapsed that it was a full backhand zone. And I kind of played it a little softer. And so I left myself a pretty tricky like 30 footer, ended up missing that. Um, and then 17 is a very, very easy, uh, birdie and I missed that. And then 18, I threw a drive to 330 feet or so and threw a pretty crappy upshot and missed that. Um, 11, I got a par. That's a very hard birdie. 13 is a very, very hard birdie. And I played. Pretty much I played 11 and 13 for like a circle two putts. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with not getting those. Um, but I feel like three of the holes that were pretty easy, uh, I didn't capitalize on that. And then a couple of the par fives, I put myself in a really, really good position to eagle and I didn't get it. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was there was a handful of shots that, you know, it wasn't like I played flawless. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, your game that round felt smooth. You were doing things correctly. Putting felt good. What were the weather conditions like on day one compared to days two and three? Yeah, first six holes, no wind. Mm-hmm. So that that was nice. And right now where my game's at is I've had most reps in no wind, and it's easiest for me to trust my disc. Um, so I was really able to commit to all my shots. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I've been trying to work on, and unfortunately the only thing that – will help me get there faster is like just more and more reps of throwing in the wind and being able to trust what my discs are going to do in a left to right or right to left a headwind all this stuff so when the wind kind of picked up around seven or eight um i had started so well 
that I felt like I was just in rhythm and I was just still like committing to everything. So I was like, mm-hmm. I'm eight under through 10 holes or whatever. Yeah. Like, let's just keep going where round two and round three, it started windy and got windier. And so I didn't really get off to that great start. And mm-hmm. so there was definitely a lot more shots. Those, both those rounds where almost as like I'm walking up to go and throw like my getting into my, my run up or my walk up, I'm like second guessing myself. Yeah. Like, should I throw it wider? Should I throw it with more highs? Like, and that's not what you yeah. should be doing going into your throw. Those last so, second switches. Yeah. And, and that's where, uh, you know, and so that's, that was my biggest thing going from round two to round three is I told myself, I don't care if I shoot five over or 15 under, I want to try to commit to all my shots. And I feel like in round two, there was four shots I didn't commit to. In round three, there was two shots I didn't commit to. Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit better, obviously not perfect, but um, that was one of the takeaways that I was okay with in round three was at least, even though I made mistakes and like threw the wrong disc or mm-hmm. uh, threw it on too much hyzer or whatnot, um, I at least was committing to those shots. Yeah. So fortunately, with your play on the first round, you solidified a spot in the lead card going into the second round. Mm-hmm. Second round wasn't as good, but it was good enough to keep you on that lead card going into the mm-hmm. third round. Give us the feelings of, OK, day one is over. You know, you're on lead card now. You're chilling back at your hotel. What's kind of your thought process? I'm going to be on post round production. There wasn't live yet, but kind of like what are the feelings of Brody Smith going into day two? Yeah, you know, I think these are these are the rounds and the tournaments that I need to 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 not only just build the confidence up because that's that's when you're at your scariest is when you actually are confident. Um, and for me, I am I am very confident in my game, but the one thing I'm missing is actually having the reps of where I've seen myself do it when it actually matters. I've seen myself do it in practice but I haven't had enough reps to where it's like, I have seen myself be able to throw the right shots, make the right putts when it actually counts. And so putting myself in these positions, uh, this is priceless uh, experience and what I honestly need. Um, So going in from round one to round two, uh, I was just really, really fortunate and, and happy to have the opportunity of putting myself in that position to get that valuable experience that I need. Yeah. So going into that final round, you're talking about like being able to earn it, gain the valuable experience going into the final round. Um, just give us somehow an inside look into your mindset. Like were your feelings, what were your nerves? Like people talk about that being normal. Like as you're playing your round, were you having thoughts raised through? Just give us the, what did the last round go like for you? Uh, I mean, it was it was an absolute brutal first thir- 13 holes. Mm-hmm. 13 holes were absolutely brutal. Because you were, uh, it was four over through 13, right? No. Uh, two. Two over, yeah, because you scraped up a couple two, birdies. Yeah. I think, I think I got two birdies, yeah. So, um, I mean, just to kind of go through my round real quick, hole one, through a good drive. Second throw, I thought it was good, but it was a little bit too far left. Skipped OB, missed my putt, started with a bogey. Hole two, very difficult, par three. Threw a good shot to circle, but one thing that I really, really struggled with and something that I'm going to have to work on is uphill putts. And not so much like 
where the basket is higher than me, I'm fine with that. It's when I'm standing on a very vertical thing. I was, yep. I, I didn't make the correction of shrinking my, uh, my stance. I kept my stance wide <laughs> and I wasn't really able to generate power. And also I wasn't throwing enough wrist. You got to actually get a little bit more wrist action to actually get the disc there because you can't use the lower body. <laughs> so I ended up missing that putt. Hole three, great drive. Second shot, made the mistake of into a right-to-left wind. Uh, tail, right-to-left wind. I need to throw something. I need to throw a putter, um, something more understable. And I threw my stable zone instead of my understable zone. And it just caught the wind, win OB. And at this point, I'm trying to win the tournament. Mm -hmm. And that's, the, that's a big difference, too. Last year, when I was playing tournaments, I was trying to just not get big numbers and to try to just, you know, see if I can like get a top 50 or whatever. And I'm just playing really safe. You know, I'm trying to win. So when I throw that OB shot and I have, you know, a 45 footer to an elevated basket, right to left, 20 mile an hour wind, old Brody would literally just pitch it up and take my, what would that be? Bogey. Yeah. Take yeah. my bogey and move on. Yep. Yep. But I'm in a situation where, you know, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm like six or seven strokes back or six strokes, maybe off the lead. And there's tons of holes left where you can get an Eagle and Ricky could bogey. And that, you know, that could be a three shot swing right there. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, if I, if I can save par here, there's tons of holes for me to still kind of catch up. Yeah. So I, I go for, I go for trying to make it. Um, it ends up unfortunately rolling out of bounds. I try to make that, that comeback. I don't make it. Now I got a triple mm -hmm. and now I'm like, Oh boy. Cause this is one of those courses where when you par a hole, you feel like you're losing strokes to the field. Yep. So getting a triple on a hole is like absolutely miserable. So then I move on to the par four, throw a perfect drive in the perfect spot to get up and down for Eagle, throw the wrong disc, OB, make a par um, after being in a perfect spot for Eagle. Mm -hmm. Hole six, again, talked about that hole being one of the easier holes. Didn't, or no, sorry, hole five. Mm -hmm. Didn't get it again. Uh, threw a scuba, actually hit the band. Hole six, super tough hole, made par, moved on. Hole seven, super easy hole, threw it to 22 feet, uh, spits out, rolls away to about 45, missed the comebacker. Now I'm bogeying that hole. Now, now I'm four over. Now I'm moving into hole eight. Hole eight, I think I birdie hole eight. Yep, you do. Yeah, hole eight, I birdie with a nice circle two putt. Hole nine, lack of focus. I throw it low. I forget that I need to throw it high. I par that hole. Hole 10, I birdie. Hole 11, I have a birdie putt. I miss. Hole 12, I, uh, I don't even want to talk about hole 12. Hole 12 is an eagle look all day, and I parred it two days in a row losing probably three strokes to the field hole 13 yeah. i missed my putt hole and then uh hole 14 15 16 17 18 i've already out yeah. so there was just so many i mean i was zero percent from c1x too so mm -hmm. i think i missed four or five putts from c1x yeah. and you know it's just one of those things of where it was a big big learning experience but one thing i always tell people is like never cut count me out like i could have easily have thrown in the towel and been like, I'm four over. Wow, I had a great chance at, at you know potentially winning or getting mm -hmm. a top three finish. Um, but 
I switched my I switched my um, my goal. Right, my goal no longer at that point at hole twelve. I knew I could not win. Mm-hmm. It was it was literally out of reach. There's no way I can win. So I was like, I looked at my phone. I looked to see USDGC spots and see what I was at. And I was like, I was like, if I if I birdie out, I I can give myself a chance. Mm-hmm. I can give myself a chance. Um, and yeah, I ended up birdieing six holes away, six holes in a row, including the playoff to to get it. So yeah. it was one of those things of where I could have left. And I told Ezra this too. I was like, bro, because I drove up to Stockton with Ezra. I was like, bro, you were really close to having a super silent eight-hour ride. Yeah, um, I would have been. I would have been so mad at myself. Yeah. But it turned out, you know, something that could have been extremely negative. It turned out to be a pretty positive for me. Well, I kind of have two things to go on that. And the first one is you're just talking about how you birdied six holes in a row, five during the tournament, one during the playoff. Dustin Keegan had actually birdied seven holes in a row. Yeah. So he, he obviously, he was having a very good, I mean, back nine, he shot eight down through nine holes. I mean, something just as simple as that. And then kind of going back when you're talking about your round, I'm looking at hole three where you did take a triple bogey. The rest of your car mates all took threes on that. Had you taken that? I birdied that both days. Okay. So had you taken a three on that? That's a four stroke swing, obviously right there. That puts you in fourth place. You know what I mean? I bogeyed from 240 feet out. Yeah. So, yeah, with I remember nothing, watching it live. With nothing, yeah. my, with nothing in my way. Yep. So, yeah. something as simple as that, but at least you have the ability to go back, look at your round, and know, okay, these are the mistakes that I made. This is what I can learn from. And having that attitude of, you know, you might be six strokes out, but like you said, that one swing that happened to you, that could have happened to Ricky, and you could have been one threeing that. And now that six-stroke swing, or excuse me, six strokes, that's down to two or three. And yeah, so it's I mean, slow things like that. So... You gotta always, you gotta always think that you have a chance. Now, obviously, yeah. I, I said like at hole twelve or something that I didn't have a chance because, but I that's when Ricky was Ricky was like up by fifteen. Exactly. Like, you gotta be realistic as well. There, yeah. Um, but at, you know, on hole three, you know, I'm, you know, I'm thinking if I make this putt, I'm still like, I'm still in range. You know, I can eagle yep. three holes. Yep. Uh, and and birdie a lot. You know, so. There, there was still potential. So, yeah, I'm never, I'm never going to count myself out of, of anything, you know? Yeah. And I, again, I'm impressed. I had a hot take and I'm saying it with you on the air. I don't know how professional that is. I, at an elite series, Disc Golf Pro Tour, I did not foresee you ever getting into a podium finish. Now, I am going to be honest. This performance, and I know it was a silver series, which again is getting a lot more attention this year than it ever has, but at at least this performance, you tied Ricky in the first round. You maintained a lead card within a few strokes of Ricky. Uh, He is our sports arguably best right now. That's impressive. I may may change my hot take going forward. However, let me ask this. Do you find yourself advancing quicker in disc golf than even you thought? Yes. Okay, that's the short answer. Um, this I didn't think. I didn't think until I. I thought it was going to be next year. I thought next year I was going to. That was going to be the year that I was going to be putting myself in positions to win. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, with Goat Hill, I've already shown that I can. I can put myself in positions to to win tournaments already this year. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's because? Your athletic background and golf, both ultimate and golf, playing a part into why you're advancing quicker? Or is it, 
it's obviously not luck. You're working hard. But what do you what do you attribute to the quicker? Is disc golf easy? Are our players not as good as what could be there? I, I mean, I think there's just you know, I think. Uh, I mean, I think the short answer would probably be like disc golf is young. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if is disc golf continues to grow and more and more money continues to go into disc golf to where people that, you know, might have the ability of playing other sports decide to play disc golf because they love it. And there's actually, you know, decent money involved. Um, I think you would start seeing more of what you see on the PGA tour where you have 60, 70 guys that could win an event versus right now in disc golf, you know, realistically at some of these events, there's five, six, seven guys that can win. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. Um, I've often wondered if we brought in the world's best athletes, what disc golf would look like, but that's, I want to be careful. I'm not undervaluing your performance. I want to be very careful in saying that I think your performance was as strong as the best we have in the sport this past week in minus, mean, I think it minus like, the final I think round. It was like a, I would, yeah, I would give it like a C plus. Okay. As minus. far as like what, as far as what I think my, not, not like a C plus as, as far as my skill level right now, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, five years from now, looking back at this performance, it's, it would probably be like a C plus. Okay. Because like where my ceiling is of where, like to give you an idea, uh, within, I would say the last two to three months, I'm probably throwing 30 to 50 feet farther and I'm fat Brody right now. So I, I foresee myself next year being able to throw another 30, probably 30 to 50 feet farther as well. Getting more into shape, say, throughout the season, throughout the offseason and everything like that. Because obviously being, it's tough. Being quicker, faster, yeah. stronger, all those things. Yeah, It's obviously tough during the season to, with the travel life that a disc golfer goes through. Obviously, you're a Peloton guy. You're obviously not riding a Peloton every single day. Like, you probably will be in the offseason. But you've been through the grind, okay? And you're still going through the grind of learning this sport. And you've obviously done it learning other sports. You were one of the greatest ultimate players. And then you became an above average golfer. Like, what do you think the key is for you? And the key is for other people getting good at a sport, getting a, above average at a sport. Um, I think what a lot of people like to do is they like to practice the stuff that they're good at um, because it's more fun. And I think that's the exact opposite of what you need to do. So something that we always talked about on Ultimate Frisbee when we were we were helping younger players is in the off season, that is when you need to be working on whatever you suck at. So whether it is like you don't have a forehand, you should be working on your forehand in the off season. And then when it gets to the actual season, you need to really work on the stuff that you're good at and get that even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think disc golf, I, I think disc golf, you could probably go a little bit more aggressive and continue to work on the stuff that you're not good at throughout the season as well. Um, but again, you know, I think it's, it's a scary thing for some people to do because people like to be good. Mm-hmm. And so, so unfortunately, sometimes you have to get worse and do something that is going to make you worse to get you better. And so something that I'm not afraid of doing is I'm not afraid of changing something up, like completely at Memorial, 
completely changed my back end form, mm-hmm. which absolutely screwed me for that tournament. And I played absolutely miserable. But I'm reaping the benefits now because I'm throwing farther, throwing more accurate, able to, to control my angles a little bit better. Yep. So I'm, I'm completely fine with changing up a part of my game that's going to maybe make me worse in the short run, but will eventually make me better in the long run. The mindset of one step back is two steps forward as an athlete. So that, yeah, it's a pretty good mindset. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's ask this question and obviously you're, you're sitting there at a course, you're probably wanting to get out and eat your three hours behind us, but let's ask this. So I'm, I'm, I'm chill. Okay. All right, cool. I I saw people in the chat saying that they want the old Nick and Matt show for this episode where it just goes on and on and on and on. on on. on. That's not, that's not what Nick told me off air, but okay, here's, here's, (laughs) here's the question. Sometimes, and I've been in the sport 14 years, sometimes people look at someone funny when they say they play disc golf, okay? Or or if disc golf is your job. Um, let me just ask it. I guess it's a yes and no. Are you proud to be a disc golfer when someone asks you the question what you do? <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> I don't. I is that what say... you tell people now, though? If someone asks you, say, if someone doesn't know who you are, if they say, oh, hey, man, what do you do for a living? Do you go out and say? I I say I'm a pro disc golfer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't feel like I would. I don't know if proud would be the right word. Kind of indifferent, (laughs) essentially. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Yeah. Wait, wait. Are you proud to be a disc golfer? I, I don't have I oh so I talk disc golf. What does golf. that even mean? I talk disc golf. I guess it, <laughs> if if you were a pro NFL athlete and someone asked what you do, I'd be pretty proud to say, hey, yeah, I'm a professional quarterback in the NFL. Like I would be. Um, I'm proud to be a oh, dad. Like, you're talking about like, like you know sticking your chest out and being like, yeah, I'm, a, a, I'm a pro. I'm a pro NFL player. <laughs> no, no but not, I'm not proud to be a dad. I'm like, I'm proud to be a dad. I'm proud to be a dad of four boys. Like. It's something yeah, who see, I, I am. It's see, who I, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Um, yeah. I don't, I mean, for me though, I don't really see it. I think that's to that. That's different. That's okay. different of being like, a, of being like a, a father. That's way different than, cause I don't, I wouldn't put some, I wouldn't put like a professional athlete higher up than a teacher or an actor or, yeah. or whatever. I think, the most important thing is if you love what you do, that's the most important thing. There's a lot of people out there that might be in a, uh, might be in a profession that some people might have this kind of like, Oh my God, that's so sick that you're this thing. And they might absolutely be miserable doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think the most important thing really is, are you actually enjoying? So I would say that, like, I would answer that question by saying, I'm absolutely enjoying what I'm doing right now playing disc golf. That's a good answer. If, and if someone asked me like, um, if someone asked me like, how, how is that career shift and, and, and how has it been? I would say it's been absolutely amazing. I love it. I love the competition. Um, I love that there's just so many different things that I can work on. Um, I love playing all these different courses and I just love the challenge of, you know, continuing to kind of push myself because, you know, disc golf is one of those sports that not only can you continue to always get better, but it is so hard to be consistent all the time. So yeah. you're constantly battling 
you're uh, you're constantly having ups and downs and it's like trying to figure out how to like even that out as much as possible i love that challenge well kind of one of those challenges you obviously played a sport that was also another solo sport in let's say regular golf you became an above average regular golfer and do you think that mindset of being good a good player in that do you think that's translated well coming into disc golf because obviously you know for the most part you have an idea of the rules of the game you have an idea of how the game is played and so having that mindset of you said you had some lapse of judgments when i came on the disc golf course is that something that you also experienced on the golf course to where it might have been you know you hit a seven iron when you should have hit an eight yeah okay so yeah, more more so in golf because golf is a, uh, as far as like skill level goes, golf is you know two three times more more difficult than disc golf. There's so many other factors because like when you're when you're playing disc golf, uh, you're pretty much only really concerned with the wind and and what disc to choose. In golf, you're not you're also worried about like your lie. So are you in the fairway? Are you in the rough? If you're in the rough, you could be sitting all the way down. You could be, you could have a flyer. You also have to think about the greens. Are you trying to put backspin on it? Are you trying to hit a, hit something and take some spin off? There's just so many different factors in golf that uh, the learning curve, I would say, like the learning curve for disc golf, the biggest thing is just learning the disc. Yep. That's the biggest thing. Once you kind of learn what discs there are, uh, you'll start seeing a huge, huge improvement in your game. And in golf, it, there's just so many different things because, like, you literally could play uh, on Bermuda grass mm -hmm. one one turn uh, one tournament, and then the next tournament you're on bent grass, and it's it's the breaks on the greens are completely different. And if you don't know that, if you don't have that knowledge of how to read greens and stuff based on just the actual grass, you're you're in you're in a world of hurt. Yeah, I guess with disc golf, obviously golf has like you said, it's two to three times harder. You got so many more variables to learn from. In disc golf, we kind of do have those variables is in the sense of at this course, I actually really like seeing the baskets on these natural mounds. And yeah. that's something that that's something that we've talked about is how do we make disc golf harder? How do we make the putting greens harder and everything like that? And it's no hanging baskets. It's no six feet tall baskets. We actually had naturally raised baskets. And in the wind, we saw Eric Oakley struggle with it in round two. We saw you have an issue with it in round three on hole number three. And so there are variables of say at a course like this, a lot of elevation, you want to land your disc in a certain spot, or you have that uphill putt to where you now have to think about your footing. You're not getting as much push with your lower body. So I think as players are starting to get better in our sport, and this is kind of like a shout to amateur players when you were learning, like Brody saying, learn how the course plays, learn where you want to throw your disc, because at that point you're going to have an advantage. If there's a tree, somewhat near the basket learn how far that tree is because if it's only 30 feet that's kind of where you want to put your disc you want to put it in circle one so learning those variables i think is kind of a cool concept and you obviously knew that from golf a lot more variables but now you have that same sense of judgment in disc golf yeah i think i think in anything once you start realizing what your mistake was that's a big big thing of being able to get better i think a lot of people they mess up and they don't know what they did wrong. Um, you know, giving you an example that the whole 12 where I tried to park it when in fact I should have just played it out wide and not even been close to that tree and given myself a flat 15 footer. Um, 
there might be some people that be like, oh man, I didn't throw a good shot in the sense of like, I just, I, I, you know, I, I threw it and it was just too far right. And so hit the tree versus like, no, your, your game plan was wrong. Like you shouldn't have even tried to park it. That was the mistake, not the actual throw itself. So I think that's crucial is actually when you start identifying exactly why you're making your mistakes, Mm -hmm. then you can actually correct them versus just like being like, Oh, I threw the wrong disc or Mm -hmm. whatever. And it might not be the case. Mm -hmm. That that was a big step for me, I think. Yeah. So you got to play two rounds in a row with, like Matt said, arguably the best player in the world right now. Mm -hmm. You got to see how Ricky is playing these courses. You got to see how Ricky putts and everything like that. What do you think you need to elevate in your game to get not to Ricky level yet, but let's say to that next upper echelon of players and maybe even that Ricky level, depending on how you think about it. But like, what's something in your game that you feel like you need to work on the most right now? Cause your distance is probably I, so when you first got into the sport and you started learning how to throw the disc and everything like that, I was most impressed with how good you got at putting very early on. You took that and you got, you took those garage putts seriously and it helped out a ton. And then now what impresses me, I think the most is your distance. And I know at this tournament, Bushnell was doing some range finders. I know some of the holes were elevated, but you were having shots over 500 feet. You were having shots that were, you were going past Ricky. You were almost keeping up with AB, but what do you feel like you have to improve on to hit that next level of player status? I would say circle two putting is huge. Um, That's probably one of the top ones for me. Um, Putting in a right to left wind. I really, really struggled with that. Um, and so I'm, I'm working on that. And then I would say just the consistency mm-hmm. being able to, uh, there's no shot. There's no shot really right now that I feel like I can't accomplish. Um, but what I'm missing right now, I would say is, you know, that 250 upshot that I threw out of bounds, I'm doing that once out of you know five throws and mm-hmm. it needs to be once out of 25 throws yep um, it needs to be a fluke that you threw that yes yeah and so getting a little bit more consistent that there and then i would just say uh getting a little bit more consistent with my high speed driver forehands so mm-hmm. i feel really good throwing raptors i feel really good throwing my zones i'm still trying to get the nukes dialed in mm-hmm all right, so moving on a little bit from the discussion on your performance, uh, I'm interested a little bit off the course. Are you worth a $10 million contract yet? Do you think you will ever be if your answer was no? And then I have a, a follow-up to that. I feel like that's a question for Discraft. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Stop let me off. ask this. But then let me ask this. Do you plan to stay with Discraft forever? You know, I'm very, very happy um, with the relationship I have with them. Um, they have been awesome, awesome to work with. And obviously, when I signed with them, initially, people know that they were not the biggest offer. Um, I turned down bigger offers to go with Discraft because it wasn't, initially, it wasn't about the money. That wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing was me working with someone that I felt like together we could do a lot of amazing things and do some awesome things, which I think we've, we've done pretty good so far. Um, so as of right now, I have no reason to think about going somewhere else. 
but at the end of the day too, you know, like you can't ever say, you can't ever say it's not a possible possibility. Right. Um, I always will keep my options open and, and, and listen to hear what others have to say. Uh, because one thing, and I don't think, you know, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but one thing that I, I don't really want to have happen is where I feel like it's, it, it feels like it's just a little bit one-sided on one, on one, uh, where, where it feels like both people aren't working together, if that makes sense. And that, that hasn't happened yet with Discraft. So I'm super happy with how everything's going. Yep. Um, but with me right now and how it's, a, it's an interesting situation too, right? Because initially, I mean, just as you know, there were some there were some manufacturers that wanted to sponsor me as a celebrity, mm-hmm. and I was like, no, 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 I'm I'm actually like trying to to get good, like I'm I'm trying to compete, and they're like, yeah, we can give you a celebrity sponsorship, and I'm like, okay, so that's kind of it's it's an interesting situation because that's kind of where I was mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, and a lot has changed since then, so. Um, It'll, it'll, you know, and again, like I'm nowhere near where I want to be as far as how how good I am, my mm-hmm. skill level. So I'm just gonna keep improving and, and see where we go. That's a fair answer. Um, there are people in the chat that are upset that I even asked you that question, but I just feel like you bring more to the sport, and you just that's answer- a fair question. Yeah. And you just answered it great too. I think you bring more. People to the get sport. upset with Matt if he opens his mouth. Yeah, don't worry moment. about it. Don't worry about it. I just catered to them. I shouldn't even have brought him up. <laughs> Here, how no, about it's this? A fair, it's, it's a fair question too, and it's one of those things too where I'll, I'll say this: like one thing that needs to happen is it's not even necessarily. If you look big picture, if you look big picture, if a company comes to Nick and says, "Nick, we want to give you free product," and you blast out three instagram posts every month and he goes yeah 100 percent." and they go to you matt and they say hey we want to give you free product and to blast it out three times a month and you're like yeah 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 and then they come to me and i say that's going to be thirty-five thousand dollars. they're going to be like what we're we're getting it for free from all these other people mm-hmm. so if it, they come to nick and nick says that's gonna be five hundred dollars and they come to you, Matt, and you say that's going to be fifteen hundred dollars. And they come to me, and I'm I'm like that's going to be fifteen thousand dollars. Now all of a sudden, like they kind of have an idea of like, okay, I can't just do stuff for free. Mm-hmm. So it, it goes in the same way with sponsorships, where yeah, obviously it would be nice for me and my family to to get a really really big sponsorship, but it also does a huge huge thing similar to what Paul's sponsorship did. It does a huge huge thing to others because now others can be like, wait a second. Brody's, yeah. getting, Brody's getting how much? And so yep. now that puts pressure on, you know, let's say Discraft, we, we sign a, we re-sign a deal, whatever, whatever. That puts pressure now on Prodigy, on Innova, on all these other manufacturers because their players are going to be like, hey, Brody's making this much money. Mm-hmm. I, what What's going on over here? And what is going to end up happening is that's just going to be great for all the players. More players are going to make more money. And like I said, when players start making more and more money, now you're going to get people that are really, really good at sports being like, wait, I can make how much money playing disc golf? And now yeah. you're going to start seeing, I mean, how exciting would it be? Just put yourself in a situation where instead of having Eagle, Chris, Paul, Ricky, and Calvin, you now have 40 guys like that. Yep. How exciting would that be? 
Yeah. Well, who was the golfer? Who was the golfer who just won an event and he hasn't since 2019? Uh, uh, Austin Smotherman. No, just was it Rory? Yeah. No, who? No, Smotherman just won. Is Smotherman? Smotherman. Look it up. I think it's, <laughs> I, I might be saying his name wrong. Someone in chat probably will know, but I think yeah. it's, I think it's Austin Smotherman. I'll let you know if it comes up. So in that same conversation, though, and, and thank you for that follow-up, you do a fair amount of endorsements. Like anyone who follows you, social media, we see endorsements. Um, do, brands like Bushnell and others have started seeing value in our sport. Um, have you, on your own, because of what you've done with your previous work, sought out sponsors that you think might want to get involved in the sport directly through you or through the Pro yeah. Tour? Yeah, right now, like, I've, I've tr I'm trying... I'm trying to get some people involved in the pro tour. And honestly, it's kind of easier to go through me first. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if we want to get into the whole post-production situation, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's hard, it's hard to sell the disc golf pro tour right now to some companies because the reach is just not there. Right. Um, where the idea, this is why I'll just say this real quick. If we could get all the eyeballs into one spot, there are enough people right now watching disc golf that you could actually bring in a decent amount of sponsorship money. Mm -hmm. But right now, the eyeballs are being spread across too many channels. Understood. Yeah. I mean, that's I that. we yeah. in fact, in fact, I'll say this so we don't go down that whole lane right now. You did come on one other time dark horse style at towards the end of our show and you did give your opinions on that. Anyone Go back to the Nick and Matt show, find the episode with Brody. You can actually listen to his opinions mm -hmm. on that. They might have changed a little bit, but I don't know that they've changed drastically. Uh, pretty, they're pretty, pretty okay. similar. Pretty similar. All right, so cool. Rory, Rory was the one who just won a uh, PGA event recently. Who? He won the Wells Fargo. Rory McIlroy. I'm telling you right now, go to Harry Higgs's Twitter. Harry Higgs is, is friends with this guy, and he literally just said, I remember seeing his tweet. He's like, I knew it was about to happen. Harry Maybe Higgs? Harry Higgs. H-A-R-R-Y-H-I-G-G-S. He just retweeted someone. I'm almost positive it's Austin Smotherman. Maybe he won a corn so, fairy. Okay. He goes, SMU men's golf. Let's go Austin Smosmo. Smo. Okay. Smo yeah, yeah. What he His win? first what career win. I'm trying to see it. Yeah. The, okay. Okay, okay. Was it European tour Maybe. It might be. I'm corn, seeing Corn Ferry? Simmons Bake Open. Oh, Corn Ferry. Yep, Corn Ferry corn Tour. Corn Ferry. Okay, okay. So okay. I was I, I was wrong. Corn I don't know what that I don't know what that is, but that is that is what so if the disc golf pro tour was to have like actual tour cards and qualifications, uh -huh. that would be the people that weren't good enough to actually get on there, but are basically right in the bottom. So what would happen is let's say at the end of the year, the top seventy five if you're top 75 in disc golf pro tour rankings, you get a tour card next year. Okay. 76 through let's say 150, you go on the corn fairy tour. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the corn fairy tour, like the top 15 guys move up and get PGA tour cards and the bottom 15 guys from the PGA uh, or from the disc golf pro tour flip flop. Flip flop. Okay. So I always constantly thought... kind of keeping people yeah. kind of coming up and down. I thought that was the web.com tour. Maybe it was. They, 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 the sponsors changed. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. So now the Corn Ferry Tour. Cool. Yep, well, I guess exactly. I, I kind of have one last question, and it goes back to talking about deals, endorsements, manufacturer sponsorships, and everything like that. And you did talk about how Paul's sponsorship did help out in the sense of, you know, this is what he's making. He made it a public offer. 
Yeah, if I'm Ricky and I'm only making $50,000 a year, you better believe I'm pissed. So if you sign your next contract, whether it's with Discraft or it's something else, public. you're going to make it public? Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. I just, I'm I mean, curious. Obviously not, I, all the de- not all the details. But yes, exactly. Essentially, essentially how, like, very well, similar to what Paul did. It's just exactly. like how much money, how long. Guaranteed. Exactly. Yeah. It was 10 years, $10 million guaranteed. And, you know, Ricky could go out next year if he, or two years, whenever his contract's up and say, okay, well, you know, I'm a two-time world champion. I'm making 350 guaranteed a year, or 400 guaranteed. But we don't know the incentives of what the get yeah. freak is, you know, anything like that. But okay, so you I feel think until I think until there's agents involved to where they actually, you know, it, it'd be the same thing as like if there was no re- realtors yep. and you're like trying to sell a house. How how would you have any idea how much a house costs? I would have no idea how much a house costs. Exactly. So it's the same kind of thing of like right now, you know, everyone's kind of doing it individually. So no one is really knowing what so I think making some of these contracts public in the sense of just how much money they're getting paid. I think that helps everyone else right now. Um, that is maybe getting a little bit underpaid, but you know, a hot, not necessarily a hot take, but kind of where I think eventually what might end up happening is people that move, move the needle. So they say in, in for certain companies, I think they will start making more money. And then people that currently have sponsorships with companies that don't really move the needle, those companies will probably just drop those players. Gotcha. Because okay. right now, so. manufacturers are, I, I don't want to sound like manufacturers are, aren't paying, you know, what they should be paying for players because they actually are paying a lot of players when they shouldn't be. Like, there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that they're helping out that from a business side of things doesn't really financially make sense. Mm-hmm. But they're doing it because they're trying to keep people on tour and they're trying to help kind of continue to grow the sport. Because that, that is their brand that's traveling across the country in that van that that company might have helped wrap for them and given them a monthly salary to go along. I think one of the toughest things and a lot of people saying, you know, Paul's contract being public was great and everything like that. But the thing is, is that Paul's a five-time world champion, two-time U.S. champion and multiple major winner. There's no one else playing the sport right now that is on that level. And so you got to think, okay, Paul's worth a million dollars a year. What is, you know, I'm say I'm 1025 rated. I'm playing great. What is Nick Carl worth? And so that's <laughs> well, where, well, so that's where, that's where you put, you put a lot of pressure on the manufacturers manufacturer themselves to, to, to give, to actually give you a value. And then it's also important for you to see what your value is as well. So I'm, you know, for me, for example, I'm able to kind of get an idea of what it cost. Like, I have a good idea of, obviously, because I do a bunch of other brand deals, what it costs to post an Instagram story, mm-hmm. what it costs to have a sponsor on my hat, what it costs to have a sponsor on my shirt. Um, I, I kind of have an idea of, like, what all those things cost. So that way, when someone wants to offer me something for me to do, I have some sort of kind of clue of what I feel like. Yep. And then you also just have to come up with a number in your head too that you're happy with, right? Yes. So that's so that has happened a lot of times with me of where it's like, okay, my agent is negotiating with someone and we know that my rate for let's say an Instagram post is like $15,000, right? There are some times where the brand will just say, "Hey, we want Brody to do an Instagram post 
we've got a budget of $22,000. How does that sound? And we're like, um, uh, yeah, I think we can make that work. Mm -hmm. You know, where I would have said yes to 15. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think like having a number in your head that you're happy with and then putting it on the people to be like, what am I worth to you? Like what you get to use my name, my likeness, you get to associate yourself with me. Mm -hmm. What is that worth to you? And then, you know, shopping around and seeing what that is and hopefully finding something that makes sense for you and makes it work. Yeah. I think kind of I'll, I'll go off that and then, you know, Matt, you can wrap it up, obviously. Um, what is and I kind of mentioned this a little bit last week and we never really got into it. But what do you think the next big sponsor in our sport could potentially be? Obviously, Bushnell was someone who was an outside company who came in and they seem to be doing pretty well with the sport. I, I would assume so. I don't know all the logistics, but they're yeah, kind I don't of know a big how company. Much money, I don't know how much money they're putting into the sport. Putting into those, it. I don't yeah, have those figures. Exactly. But do you think like, do you think Adidas would see value in disc golf? Do you think Callaway would see value in sponsoring a player to rep their clothing? Do you feel like we're at that point yet? Or are we talking five years from now? So, I'll say this. I was, I'm very close with a couple companies like that, Mm -hmm. that are interested in sponsoring me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like once they kind of see that value, then they might be open to sponsoring other players. And then also once the disc golf pro tour makes, it's going to be a big, big change for everyone. But once they decide, you know what? We want everything to be under our umbrella. Mm-hmm. And once they start doing that and starting getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views on their YouTube channel, now all of a sudden there's broadcasts are getting 120,000 views of people watching live stream, uh, live, live broadcasts. When that start happening, now you can really promote or not promote, but you can really go out and sell that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it'd be mm-hmm. the same thing right now. If you went, how many Instagram followers do you have? Uh, 2,800 off the top of my head. If you went to a company, Red Bull, Adidas, McDonald's, if you went to any of those companies, the amount of work that it would be to get something going with you isn't even worth it to them. That's the, you see what I'm saying? That's the problem is it's not so much like the money. They don't care about the money, Mm -hmm. right? Like, giving you a hundred bucks to post something on Instagram. They don't care about that. It's all the work that actually has to go into it. So if they're going to put all that work into marketing something, they'd much rather just spend $50,000 and get a huge, huge number one time than having to find 50 or a hundred Nick Carl's and doing it with all you guys and giving you all a hundred bucks. So I think right now with, Jomas, Central Coast, Gatekeeper, GK Pro, all these companies are getting all these views. And then Disc Golf Pro Tier is getting all these views. If everything just went into one spot, it's similar to like what we're doing here on the Foundation Podcast. Channel, yep. Right? Yep. You know, if if you guys did your own YouTube channel, if Griplock did its own YouTube channel, and then when I start my podcast, if I did my own YouTube channel for those podcasts, you know, we're not potentially we're not getting as many views or as much subscribers as we could if we all had it under one hub. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the thought process in that. But I I don't think we're too far off because I almost, I almost had a couple people pull the trigger this year, 
Um, and so I'm obviously going to continue to work on some companies and some of the relationships that I currently have um, to, to, to see what we can do kind of in the future. Yeah, cool. Gotcha. Well, that was one of the biggest things I think that a lot of people thought of as you were entering into our sport. And we've obviously seen, you know, Paul's, let's say, follower count on Instagram over 150,000. Yours is over 900,000. Like we see players like you guys in our sport that could potentially be the pioneers of these are bigger sponsorships. I would say one thing, you know, you do brand deals. We've seen them. I saw the Manscaped one, and then you just did one recently for the watch. I don't remember the name of it, but that's something that you've done recently. Paul is obviously doing stuff with Celsius. I think we are slowly starting to see that form in disc golf, but I totally get what you're saying that there are too many things going on rather than let's jump into this. Nicky Matt show. (laughs) What's up? What's up, KJ? (laughs) I'm rapping. It'll be like a couple minutes. Yeah. Oh, Ezra, uh, he's not back yet. <laughs> the joys. <laughs> the joys the joy of, of, of touring. So, But anyways, that's cool to kind of see the inside of that. And, you know, obviously good luck to those hopefully potential ventures. Yeah. All right. Yeah. People want to know if we're going to make an offer to you to wear the Nick and Matt show during one of your rounds and what that would cost. <laughs> hey, I currently don't have a hat sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of All like right. a, a cool. insider trading thing though if you wear it so i don't know we'll have to figure that out <laughs> and i will scrape together the coins that we have yeah you guys pay me and then it ends up just going back into your pocket exactly <laughs> how much do you want no all right um we've made it to the end we've let you shout out a lot but if there's anything we missed we do want to give you that opportunity obviously um other than that let us know uh what yeah, no, you yeah just keep killing it um you know i think this is one thing that will continue to help get disc golf uh, more attention and more people involved are, you know, podcasts and media that, you know, doing what you guys are doing. So uh, obviously I'm sure everyone watching really appreciates all the work and stuff that you guys do. So just keep crushing it. Totally appreciate that, Brody. Totally appreciate that. Um, And I've said this before the last time you were on. I said, hey, I had my hot take on you, but I want to be very clear. I am rooting strongly for you. And until I change, until I change my hot take, I hope you just prove me wrong. If I change it, well, then I proved myself wrong and you did it for me. So, okay. Um, Cool. Cool. All right. (laughs) We're going to let you go. Get in your practice. OTB open, new course venue. We're looking forward to it. Good luck to yeah, see you. Yeah, this course is hard, Utah. by the way. This yeah. course is hard. If 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 you if you're interested in watching some really really impressive, these are the type of courses. This course might be too hard. I'm not sure yet, but <laughs> these are the type of courses that I think will really start showcasing some incredible skill level. Versus like you know, not to dog other courses, but you know, other courses where you just see everyone making pars and birdies, pars and birdies. It gets got a little bit boring. Um, so we I'll might have you, some scoring separation. I'll tell. Uh-huh. See, I, I, I don't know though. Maybe, I, maybe I'm wondering if it's too hard in the sense of where there's just gonna be a lot of pars and bogeys. Hmm. So instead of pars and birdies, there might just be a lot of pars and bogeys. So I don't know if there yep. still will be that scoring separation of. Because there's some holes like just, I'll just real quickly say it. there's some holes that are like 470 feet, low ceiling. 30 foot gaps the whole way like low ceiling for like there's there's only a handful of people that can throw 460 feet low yeah. ceiling so there's art you know that's a hole that like only like you know 10 percent of the field can even birdie 
Mm-hmm. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know. It was very windy today, so maybe that caused. And also, it was a long car ride, so maybe I wasn't yeah. throwing as far. So we'll see. <laughs> Um, and it, it, you know, it's not a real disc golf video unless this man is in the background. So, oh man, who is that? Is, make, is that Thomas Gilbert? Yeah, making an appearance, <laughs> obviously coming in. He knows exactly when to come in. Yep. <laughs> oh, and he's watching too. Look at that. Hey, Shout out, to Thomas Gilbert. Hey. Inception. Right. Well, anyways, appreciate it, fellas, you all yeah. have a good one. All right, we'll appreciate it. Brother. Have a good evening. Peace. Bye. Peace. All right, everybody, Brody Smith. Uh, what a... Yeah, I mean, again, we've done it once before, but it was what I called the Dark Horse interview. It was like, hey, Brody's in the chat. This was pre-Foundation podcast. Um, yep. And let me let me shout out. we Nick, you shouted out some cool uh, chat questions. That was great. People got those in there. Um, I watched the chat just recently. Someone said, Hey, it takes Brody Smith to keep Matt quiet. And I want to be, be transparent here <laughs> when Brody's on, I, I'm surprised anybody would want to hear my opinion. Let's listen to the guy. That's why we had him on. So I'm going to sit there as quiet as I can, as long as I can. <laughs> exactly. That's um, the plan. Yeah. Cool. So OTB open, Nick, it's coming up. Um, yeah, that, I'm super excited for it. New course venue. Um, I think. Um, there was a few things that stood out about Brody's interview that I think I'm just going to have to like, let sink in a little bit. Um, I think I was slightly surprised and maybe the confusion was in the question, but I said, are you proud to be a disc golfer when you're asked? And, um, he had to sit there for a while on that one. Um, I think he must've yeah. misunderstood think, my question. Cause I, I totally get what you meant by it. And you know, but I, I, yeah. Yeah, I kind of get it. I get it. I get it both are, ways. Exactly. Are you are you yeah. happy? Are you happy to say you're a disc golfer? Is how I could have yeah. reworded it. And but I he think did, he, that's he did what he say said. How much he loves exactly. playing now. How much he enjoys yeah. it. So I think the answer. Yeah, I think it kind of. I think goes so. Along with it. I think so. But uh, I was a little surprised. He was a little speechless there for a little while. Um, yeah. But no, good good questions all around. I think uh, people hopefully have learned a little bit. Maybe new information about Brody. I think two other things before we wrap this up, Nick. I said. Your 1,050, whatever it was, 1,056 rated. And he's like, don't talk about ratings. That's fair. That's his mm-hmm. thing. I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him, you know, say he doesn't want to talk about that. And I did quickly say, okay, fine. Is that your best performance? Now, yeah, I still think round ratings are important for the viewer. Um, maybe not for him, but it's, it's a way for us to gauge how players are doing out there. Um, but Cause you can technically, you can technically say that was his best round ever right now there you can now say that he may feel like it's not because i think he has like a 1054 rated round um from end of last year or something like that so he might say yeah that round was a lot better because this is what i'll say 1132 is the highest rated round ever by paul Macbeth, minus 17 at memorial fountain hills but he'll say doesn't mean yeah he'll say his 18 down at the toboggan was better it wasn't rated as high but it was a better round. So that's where ratings we've said it a ton. It's like, it can't beat a dead horse, whatever, you know, whatever the saying saying is, but <laughs> ratings are good and ratings are bad. I, I've I th- argued that I hate ratings, but at the same time, believe me, I'm so the, beyond curious if my ratings going to go up tomorrow. That's, I'm getting, I'm getting tired of saying know. it, but ratings do not matter for the players. They do not matter for the touring players. For the touring they matter, players. They yes. matter, one, for the AMs. I'll say it this way. And then two, 
it matters for me to see what a touring player rated because I don't know how hard a course plays. For instance, OTB Open in Stockton. I literally have zero idea what the score should be for the average on the field. I don't have an idea. If someone puts down a, a minus 10, is that good or is that bad? Nick, do you even know? Like, we don't no, know. I, we, we would say, oh, maybe no that's good, maybe it's bad. If you saw though, that said, a minus yeah. 10 was 1,080, you would say, oh, it's a pretty good round. Exactly. I've said this for a while. I think <laughs> courses should have a rating. Sure. So like Maple Golds, even sure. par is I think like 10-7 rated. So let's say even par at Maple Golds is 1,000 rated. So if a pro player goes in and shoots there, let's say five down, and let's say seven points a stroke, it's a 10-35 rated round. And then you keep going from there, or yeah. you know nine points a stroke, and then it's a 10, whatever. But I can appreciate and respect his saying he doesn't care about the round yes. rating. That's fine. I, I, he's, he, I don't want to say he has an agenda there, but it's for his own purposes. And yeah. I, I, that's cool. All right. Uh, we've made for, it to the, yeah. <laughs> we've made it to the end of the yeah. show, Nick. We did it a little bit different than we were planning. We got all our topics in the middle. If you missed those, go yeah. back and check those out. We had Lisa Fakus on in the beginning. Um, anybody that missed out on all the previous stuff, go back and check it out. And, uh, we're, we're grateful to be on foundation podcast network, Nick. Real quick, we are likely to bring in uh, different sets of stats going forward. We're going to be working with a stat group yes. out there, most likely. We're not going to announce it yet uh, to bring mm -hmm. you some really cool stats on this show. We're working on that exactly. right now. We're in the talks of it. Can't disclose too much yet, <laughs> but it's uh, it's in the works right now. We're actually really, really excited about it. Um, but like you said, Matt, that concludes... This episode, number 43, which is kind wow. of insane. We're going to be hitting that 50 mark soon. Um, just to let everyone know, I will actually be in Massachusetts for next week's episode. So, Matt, get the studio ready. I guess I got to get the studio <laughs> ready. Because I will be there. And then uh, wow, so that'll be pretty sweet. I'm excited to go back up to Massachusetts for a little bit. My brother's going into town. And... Uh, Simon leaves, you come in. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bummed about that actually. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go out and film anyway. our own vlogs, Nick. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, to everyone watching and listening, we really, really appreciate it so much. If you can go on Foundation Podcast Network on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, check it all out. We post there, we post on all the best podcast platforms. And uh, if you could leave us, I don't know, any sort of reviews, comments, anything like that. Matt and I love to read the comments. We'd love to try to engage as much as we can. Uh, but anyways, everyone, have a great week. Oh, big thing. I really <laughs> want to shout out to any women players that played in the women's global event all across the country. I'm pretty sure there are record-breaking numbers this year. Um, just want to give a shout out to all the TDs running those events. All the players, congrats to anyone who won those events. Um, I know Massachusetts had one at Maple Hill. So shout out to the Maple Hill crew for letting that happen. And uh, go Disc Golf. We're really excited. Awesome week. Subscribe to the Disc Golf Network to check out this week's OTB Open coverage. Have a great week, everyone. Tell someone you love them. And we will catch you in the next one. That's right. Nick, you're awesome. Peace out. The Nick and Matt Show. A disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find The Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.